0: Danielle McCartan,
1: Sports Radio FM. fm WFAN. Good afternoon, New York sports fans. I'm Danielle McCartan, Danielle at dinner time. Welcome to the show on this beautiful fall Saturday afternoon. I'll be talking all things New York sports for the next couple hours up until 9 p.m. Connor Green and I are coming to you live from the Carton and Roberts studio here in Lower Manhattan. And man, oh man, are there a lot of cars on the road, everybody. Maybe you're sitting in traffic. Thanks for tuning in. I know Paul Rosenberg has already signaled that. uh, Hey, Paul, I know you're sitting in traffic. So, hey, (laughs) you guys know the number. It's already pre-programmed into your speed dials. 877-337-6666. And as always, let's load them up with your best content only. At 620, a special segment with Pete Hoffman And the both of us hosted a great friend of the show, UFC legend Misha Tate 2.0. She'll preview the second fight in her comeback, which is November 20th, and talk about UFC 268, where I will be headed right after the conclusion of the show tonight. So, And then again at 7.20, 7.20, I'll have live on the hotline Adam Hill, who covers the Raiders for the Las Vegas Review-Journal, one of, if not the main paper out there in the desert. You know I love getting and bringing you guys the other team's perspective when I can. So I'm excited to hear the Raiders' perspective on tomorrow's game against the Giants. Yeah, not just something bad. That's Miranda Lambert and Carrie Underwood. But let's just first start with something abominable. The New York Jets performance in Indianapolis on national television. Guess what? Unlike many of you listening right now, I couldn't change the channel because I was there. Yup, I was the lone green jersey in section 434 at Lucas Oil Stadium on Thursday night. That was me. Actually, I actually thought I was being like sneaky clever by packing my Joe Namath jersey because as you know... Namath and the Jets beat the Colts in their only Super Bowl win ever <laughs> and probably ever again. So I brought that jersey because, A, it's the only Jets jersey that I still own that is obviously still relevant, and, B, I was hoping for the same outcome as Super Bowl three. You know, a win? You're yeah, right. First thing I'd like to address is that deceiving score. You might have turned it off at, probably at halftime. Who, who could blame you? Especially when a football game starts at 8.20 p.m., and you've got a job to go to on Friday morning, or school, or both. But you might have woken up Friday morning and saw the score of 45-30 and said to yourself, all right, 15 points, that's a two-score game, and, and the Jets' offense was able to put up 30 points. I mean, that's only one less than their season high in their shocking win against the Bengals last week. Not bad. Yeah, but the story is completely different for those that actually suffered through it. Sure, the Jets put up points in all four quarters, but that 45-30 score is absolutely deceiving. The Jets had 0% chance to win this game, and it was realistically over by halftime when it was 28-10. to In fact, the Colts scored touchdowns, not field goals, touchdowns on six of their first seven possessions. The one that they didn't score on? Oh, well, that drive ended on the Jets' one-yard line. Score a touchdown, I should say. There are a couple questions going into this game for the Jets. Number one being, is Mike White the guy? I mean, I guess the final decision on that is going to have to wait a little longer because White exited the game early with a wrist injury. Robert Sala explained it as him getting hit, and is a quote, in the right spot on that touchdown pass, which caused him to lose feeling in the ring and middle finger on his throwing hand. Okay. So Sala said that White, this is a quote too, looks good for next week in the practices leading up to the Bills game. Mike White, before he got hurt on Thursday night, was 7 for 11 for 95 passing yards and a touchdown. He averaged 8.6 yards per pass and finished with a 90.8 quarterback rating. Really good. But Robert Sala also said that Zach Wilson is, quote, also trending in that direction for a return to practice, end quote. So who should be in that Bills game under center for the Jets? You know, listen, I don't care how well Mike White plays. If Zach Wilson is 100%, then you start Zach Wilson. What's the Jets' plan for the Bills game? Well, Robert Sallow was non-committal. He said, we'll see where they are from an injury standpoint and we'll go from there. And while we're still on the offense, real quickly, Elijah Moore had his best game as a Jet. Seven catches, 84 yards, and two touchdowns. That's worth noting because let's look at the Jets' defense. Was it any good? Come on, man. Judging by the fact that they allowed 500 yards for the second time in 3 games, I'm going to go with no. No. I mean, the holes in that defense were large enough for your grandmother to run through. The Jets' defensive unit should be ashamed of themselves. And by the way, I think my grandmother's listening right now. Grandma, you could have run through those holes. That defense gave up exactly 532 yards and 28 first downs I mean forget about asking if they even got off the plane how are they even allowed to get back on it I got to the Indianapolis International Airport at 4:30 a.m. Friday morning and there were no jets around so I can confirm that all of the Jets defenders were allowed to board that plane and come home. I mean the Jets defense made Jonathan Taylor look like Barry Sanders out there. He accounted for 172 of the Colts' 260 rushing yards, and he tacked on two touchdowns to that. And guess what? In the third quarter, when Taylor broke off that 48 yard touchdown run, he was running down the sideline, like closest to me. I put my head in my hands, and the Colts fans sitting around me were actually apologizing. I was like, that's not a joke. <laughs> it was the strangest thing that I've ever encountered at a football game from the opposing team's fans. They say, oh, my God, we're sorry. (laughs) I guess it gets beating, like, getting beer dumped on me. It definitely beats that, so I'll take it. Actually, some travel buddies that I know from there told me Colts fans are great. They'll insult the opposing team and compliment them in the next breath. You'll see. Okay, so I'm listening. The very first drive of the game were calls of, Jets suck. But then on that very same drive, I overheard a bunch of these bros behind me telling each other, that was a pretty solid catch. And these are direct quotes. And, and the other one was, that was a good play. I like that play. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> In any event, a forgettable, embarrassing performance from an NFL team's defensive unit, if you ask me. The Jets allowed the Colts to accomplish a feat. I got back to my hotel room, right? And I turned on the TV. And I'm looking at Lucas Oil Stadium from the window. And I've got the postgame on my TV. It was pretty cool. On, on the TV flashed this. The Jets allowed the Colts to complete a feat not done since 1956 with Johnny Unitas and his rushing attack. And they allowed, this Jets team, this 2021 Jets team allowed Carson Wentz, of all people, and his rushing attack to throw for 250 passing yards and rush for 250 ground yards. 1956, everybody. And finally, some bad news for a unit that just flat out stinks. Veteran Marcus May is done for the season with an Achilles tear. It happened right in the end zone, right in front of me, and you knew it was going to be bad as soon as it happened because you know why? It was in a non-contact situation. One more thing. I just wanted to point out a questionable decision by Robert Sala. After that, Elijah Moore, he caught a 19-yard touchdown pass from Josh Johnson in the third quarter. The Jets elected to go for two and failed, but the call was fine. They were down 42-16 to 16 at that point. Who cares? Try for all the points you can get. You got nothing to lose except the game. Like, And you're already well on your way to do it at that point. But what was crazy to me was when on the next two touchdowns, still, the game wasn't close. The Jets elected to kick the extra point. I turned to the Colts fans sitting to the right of me when they marched Amendola out there, and I said to the guy, I said, why go for it last time and kick it now? That doesn't make any sense. He shrugged his shoulders and he said, I don't know. But there is good news out of all of this. That Thursday night football game was the Jets' only appearance on national television. Italian speaking Jets fans would say, Me male. And English speaking Jets fans would say, Good. <laughs> Yeah, that's the weekend, by the way. The Giants turned their attention to the Las Vegas Raiders in a week where they received a dozen false, positive COVID test results. It's a false alarm. That ha- the havoc that it must created on that practice field and in the meeting rooms from a preparation standpoint is no small feat to overcome, and don't overlook that when you place your bets, possibly this weekend. Joe Judge had his staff prepare a game plan, and contingency plans plural based on who might be out due to COVID reasons. That's a lot of time devoted to it and taken away from a singular game plan, all to find out that the tests were all false positives anyway. But I guess that beats the alternative, right? At least the Giants won't be missing any of those players. And not to be outdone in the adversity department. The Raiders are dealing with their own situation. And no, not Mike from the Jersey Shore. As we talked about the last time I was on air, Raiders Henry Ruggs, the 12th overall pick in this past NFL draft had been involved in a motor vehicle accident in Las Vegas that resulted in death last time I was on that's all we knew now we know that Ruggs who was seen earlier that night drinking at top golf in Vegas who texted Derek Carr and Hunter Renfro by the way from top golf asking for a uh, uh, an evaluation of his golf swing from the two of them Well, Henry Ruggs was operating a vehicle in a residential neighborhood traveling at 156 miles an hour, but at the point of impact, 127 miles an hour, with a BAC over twice the legal limit and a loaded gun in the car. That 23-year-old innocent victim's family released a statement yesterday even that said, in part, Tina's tragic loss has devastated her family beyond a grief that they could have ever comprehend. Family was everything to Tina, and she was the light of her parents' life. She loved her three-year-old golden retriever, Max, who passed alongside her Tuesday morning. Yeah, Henry Ruggs' life is probably over, but no more than that of Tina Tinter and her her dog, Max. This, New York sports fans, is a solid reminder to call a friend or call a ride share home. It's not worth it. So how do the Raiders rebound from the fact that their teammate and a great Raider so far, reprehensively took two innocent lives around 4 a.m. Tuesday morning. Well, Derek Carr has been pretty emotional publicly all week. He said, I walked by and I saw Henry's locker, and for whatever reason, that got me. He continued on to say, from a football aspect, we're ready to go. We had a great practice. We're dealing with a lot of things this year, that's for sure. What a crazy year. I heard that a few times. Can we please have nothing else bad happen? At the end of the day, nobody cares that the Raiders are hurting. We've got to do our job, end quote from Derek Carr. It'll remain to be seen how the Raiders, from a football standpoint, compensate for the absence of Ruggs, who the team cut not long after that fatal crash. They, with him, had the number two passing offense in the league, and they were number one in those quote-unquote big plays. And the Giants, who gift-wrapped the game on Monday Night Football with Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. As of this afternoon, we three-and-a-half-point underdogs. Although the Chiefs had more penalties and more penalty yards in the game, penalties in crucial spots killed the Giants this past Monday night. We talked about it. Before the half, there was otherwise, I don't think not so much talked about series of three penalties in a row that knocked the Giants out of Hail Mary and field goal range. They had to take a knee to head into the half, which was Brutal, considering that they lost by a margin of, what, three. There was the obvious offsides penalty late in the game on an interception, which would have set the Giants up at the Chiefs' 34-yard line. But that was pretty much all she wrote. The Giants' final valiant drive ended in typical Giants fashion. Short pass, sack, incompletion, and a beautiful sack fumble in the game. Let's see if they can find any luck this weekend against this reeling Raiders team. My pre-analysis and game prediction coming my, coming up a little later in the show. Just an old sweet song
2: Keeps that Georgia on my mind
1: Yeah, since the, also the last time we've talked, there has been a World Series winner crowned, the Braves. And much confetti thrown at a parade in Atlanta. I guess congratulations to the Atlanta Braves. Winners of the 2021 World Series. And I think I'm not going out on a limb to say that most of this country is happy that the Astros did not win. Houston, by the way, if you're keeping track, they were only one and two at home during the course of this World Series. And how about this? In a tweet from Vin Scully, he said, In the year that Hank Aaron passed away, the Braves won 44 games before the All-Star break, 44 games after the break, and won the World Series on the 44th week of the year. Aaron, of course, wore number 44. Maybe the Braves had a secret weapon after all. That from Vin Scully on Twitter. guys remember when we were talking about the fact that the first team to score in the championship series went on to win something like nine of the 11 games or whatever it was? It was nine, though. Well, I looked at all of the World Series box scores. The team to score first in this World Series was four and two. That's where both of our New York teams want to be. So maybe since it was true in the championship series and in the World Series, maybe there should that should be used as a blueprint for both our Mets and our Yankees moving forward. Problem for the Mets though, they can't find a single person that wants their president of baseball operations job. Never mind their managerial vacancy. I mean, really, what is going on there in Queens? Like It's not even worth it to try to explore any of these people whose names have surfaced from sources because most of them don't even want to be interviewed. So, again, Mets fans are found asking themselves, what is it? Why wouldn't someone want to come here and work in a mega market for the richest owner in all of baseball? I mean, is there a major cultural issue that us on the outside don't know about? Is there a financial issue that us on the outside don't know about? Is it trepidation of meeting the World Series timeline that Steve Cohen stamped on the team upon his arrival here in uh, in New York? Or maybe, is it that the job is viewed as temporary? Because listen, Steve Cohen loves Sandy Alderson. Sandy Alderson loves his son, Bryn. And by mid-July, Bryn Alderson and another guy named Ian Levine were promoted to assistant general managers. So guess by, is this right, the distributive property of mathematics, it seems as though Brynne Alderson is on the fast track to become the next GM of the Mets. Nepotism at its finest. So maybe this whole charade of trying to find someone to fill the vacancy is a gigantic ploy for the team and Sandy Alderson to step in and say, hey, we cast a wide net, but we're going to stay in-house and promote my son. Yikes. I mean, I feel like anything is on the table at this point. No? how about the Yankees who we've talked week in and week out. And really, if you're a fan of the show, we've talked in depth about this since the start of last season, last off season, even about how the Yankees needed a gigantic philosophical shift in roster construction. Four assistant coaches are out of a job, but Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman are back. So there's that, but you know, who won't be back at this time waiver wire casualties, three guys that were seen as the future of the Yankees. Well, Okay, maybe not that dramatic, but these were three key contributors into the epic late-summer 13-game winning streak. These were three key contributors to the philosophical shift, the anti-Yankee mentality. And all three of them, as of right now, are on three different teams. The Pittsburgh Pirates claimed Greg Allen off waivers. The Boston Red Sox claimed Tim Ril Castro off waivers. And the Los Angeles Angels claimed Andrew Velasquez off waivers. So much for a team in the midst of a major identity crisis, not protecting any of the guys that got represented uh, from that philosophical shift. As of now, the only hope that any of them returns is if their team does not offer them a major or a minor league contract. In the meantime, though, Cashman and company better have some players like them in mind because that is the solution to resolve a product that, even in Brian Cashman's own words, was unwatchable at times so let's get it going i've set the table for you i can't wait to talk with you guys at 877-337-6666 i'm danielle McCartan on the fan in new york city welcome back to danielle at dinner time here on the fan in new york city and come to think of it i don't have anything for dinner i didn't think that far ahead it's been a crazy couple of days uh we'll figure it out though Uh, you know as you know I posted a picture from Lucas Oil Stadium, and what a beautiful stadium that was. I, I had to look it up. August of 2008, it opened, and it was uh, looked like it was brand new. It, it was absolutely beautiful. I, actually, I loved it there, and I loved the retractable roof. The Colts fans sitting around me, they said it was a shame that I didn't get to see it open, which I'm sure it's it's crazy awesome, but... It was 28 degrees outside and nice climate-controlled 70 inside. I'm good. I'll take it. We're good. It was the best. It was freezing outside, and I just got to wear, like, a regular jersey. You didn't have to layer up. It was awesome. I loved it. That's what MetLife Stadium should have, by the way, everybody, for as much as we all spent on that with two teams helping to build it. Come on now. But let me tell you about this trip. The night before, as I tweeted, there was not one single hotel room in. In downtown Indianapolis, not one. I was look I gave up the search around eleven thirty PM. I had been looking for like three hours, like almost straight, not one single room. So I decided, okay. Um, and, and I wasn't staying far away. You know, I wanted to be able to just walk to the stadium. There were like six hotels in that vicinity. I decided in the morning that I was just gonna get up, go on the computer, refresh all the tabs that I left open of, of all the six hotels. That I'd be interested in. Actually, there was one actually available. And it was $400 for one night. Not. Okay. So I get up at 5 a.m., get on the computer. And I refresh the first one. And I could not believe my blurry eyes. I was like, oh, one room opened up. One. But my aunt, who has me on her free flight portal from United Airlines. Thank you. And aunt Colleen. Thank you. Thank you. I know you guys are listening. The, the portal was down, of course. So I got the room. Ready, all loaded up and everything. But the flight portal was down. So I sat there in front of the computer. I ate my breakfast. I got dressed. I'm sitting refreshing it, refreshing it, refreshing it. 7.20, the portal opened. 7.20 a.m. At that point, I grabbed my suitcase, which I had already packed the night before, just in case. Grabbed the dog. I already had fed her, too. Flew home to my parents' house to drop her off, except that the side door, the only door that I have a key for, was locked. Fort Knox, my parents' house is. So I had to go then, with the dog in the back seat still, go to my mom's work to get the key. And at this point, it is not looking like I'm going to get to Newark in time. If a flight boarded at 9.10. So I get to Vista Parking. Shout out to Tommy at Vista Parking at Newark Airport. Kwame, the shuttle driver, he was just driving as maniacal as I was to get me to that front door. They were excellent. Of course, as I'm driving up, though, the the shuttle is just leaving the parking lot. So I'm standing there waiting. Uh, uh, Tommy is is the owner there and his son, Nikki. Nikki was like, where are you going? I'm like, "Uh, going to the jet game. Flight board's in like 15 minutes. So by the time Kwame gets back, I said, Kwame, my flight board's in eight minutes. Okay, he said. We flew to Newark Airport, gets me to the front door. Great job, Kwame, tipped them, all that. So then I get into, I have TSA precheck, so I get down. And you know Newark Airport. You guys know the people around here. I said, please, my flight boards. And now, my flight's boarding right now. Please. People all moved over, moved over, everybody moved over. And then I got to, like, past all those people. And then there was a snake line. I was, like, done for. I was, like, oh, no, this is it. So I said to the, the, the TSA agent, I said, please have mercy. Please have pity on me. I flight boards at nine ten. So she slowly, slowly took her phone out of her pocket, looked at the time, and it said nine eleven. And I looked at her and her phone. And she slowly, slowly took her hand and removed that little velvet barrier, you know, the, the stanchion thing. Removed it. The girl that was waiting right there even let me go in front of her to get checked at security. And then through the security, I sprinted. Good thing I did that 5K. I sprinted. You know, it's never the first gate. Has anybody ever been in that first gate? Never has. Never. I've never been in the first gate. It's always, of course, the last freaking gate. I'm running all the way, gate 127, whatever it was, sweating. I I stop, and they're just boarding. It was delayed by five minutes. Believe it or not, I needed those five minutes. And sweating, sweating bullets, but I got on. And... I did something else sports-related there. But that I'll tell you about that in a little while. So I got, ended up, by some miracle, getting to the Jet game and then taking the 4 uh, – it was a 5.50 a.m. departure flight home Friday. So about 24 hours – no, actually less. About 17 hours I spent in Indianapolis. And uh, it was fun. Good time. Wish the Jets won. But, you know, there's that. Can't wait to my, my trip to L.A. to see the Giants coming up. woo all right, let's go in the order that you guys called, of course, at 877-337-6666. Mike in Blauvelt, you are up on the fan.
3: Hi. Oh, hi, Danielle. Buenas, Buenas, Sarah. You, um, <laughs> um, um, I'm glad you enjoyed your trip to Indianapolis. Um, it, and I, I thought of it more as a basketball town. I used to always think of it.
1: Yeah, you know, they they have the Pacers. They have the, the WNBA no, no, no. I team. Mean, I
3: mean, they have just, like, a love of basketball. But, yeah. but but, the thing is, I'll talk about the um, Jets, too. Um, one question about Joe Flacco. What happened? Um, how come he was not in the, um, he was inactive for the game?
1: Yeah, he was inactive for the game. Yeah, and i they were expecting it to happen. I'm not sure exactly why. I don't know if, it, I mean, I was at the game. I don't know if they said it on the broadcast or anything. So, I don't know. Yeah.
3: Oh, okay, no problem. I want to talk about the Astros, of course, and about Dusty Baker. Now, I think he's done over his own, in his career. He's had a, you know, he's, he's had a long, lengthy career, but he, but he has not reached the ultimate goal. And uh, I know it's very hard to do that, but I think he tantalizes the fans. I, he's not, he's gonna get us, but he's not gonna get us to the promised land. That's my, that's just my opinion.
1: I don't know there, Mike. I, I think. I think if you surround him with a little bit uh, better, I think he, I think he can. I really. But do. I didn't
3: like I didn't like the decision. Not that it mattered; it was a moot point. Yeah. But I didn't like the decision starting. Not that it mattered if he got shut out. But yeah. I didn't like some starting Garcia on three days rest against a, a Max Fried. And I said that before the game, but yeah. it didn't matter because it hit for them if they can't hit, if they can't score a run. You know what I'm saying?
1: Oh, that's right. You're never going to win with, with a grand total score of zero. That's correct. In any sport. <laughs> That's not just specific to baseball, football, basketball, any of it, right? Okay, in the order that you guys call, let's go, uh Deer Park and Robert, you're up on the fan. Hello? Yes, Robert. Oh, I will
2: um um Miss, I'm so honored to be on your show and I thank you. You you did something wonderful um for me tonight.
1: What did I do for you, you Robert? Tell me.
2: You honored that lady and that dog before you honored
1: Henry Ruggs. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate you.
2: I'm tingling. You you did something. I want to thank you for that. Um, God, you're beautiful. Uh, I want to talk to you about some things. Mm -hmm. Is that okay?
1: Yeah, yeah. Let's go.
2: Okay. Mike White. Yeah. I wanted to be so good that we have two number one draft picks. (laughs) Now we have the rookie and we have Mike White. That's a good problem. Mike White should be good. Um, sometimes I dream he is me. I'm like Mike. I want to be like Mike. He's good. And we
1: need to give. <laughs> that's that's a good little rendition there. I like that.
2: Okay, and, and we need to be good because he's a good problem. If he's really that good, he's worth a number one draft pick. Maybe a number one and a number two. Mm. So why don't we use him for that? As far as um the defense, I think they gave up. I don't know. Maybe they was tired. Um, men get tired. Oh, tired. I, I can't really blame them. Oh. Um, jet lag. I don't know. If they not eating right. Jet lag. It's um, the
1: same time zone. There is no jet lag. Well, <laughs> I believe that, me. I did it. I did it.
2: I'm trying to make excuses for because that's my team.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There is no excuse. Come on, Robert. There is no excuse for that. It was horrible. The the Colts didn't do something. Haven't done that since 1956, and the Jets allowed them to have 250 passing yards, 250 ground yards. Come on. on
2: Okay, but on the other hand, this is the first time we threw for 400 yards twice without Joe Namath. So we are doing something different.
1: I I mean I guess I mean the league has changed we though. We even had
2: the first score. We even had the first score forty five to thirty. That's never been done before. There's a lot of first with this young man. But, well, Tom Brady. Tom Brady never got dressed. Um, we got oh, uh, what's the guy from the Rams? He came off the um interleague play.
1: Interleague play. Uh, Talking baseball. We were playing arena, arena, football. Rams arena quarterback. Football. Rams. Quarterback. The Rams quarterback. Arena Kurt League, Warner. Kurt, Warner. Kurt Warner. He was begging groceries. And
2: so your point about what's the point? Okay, nobody picked Michael Jordan. I would My point is, you pass people that are great. Don't pass a great person. Okay.
1: I get who who picked Michael Jordan? But wait, who picked Kurt Warner? Right, but but I'm talking about the Jets defense and how Brady? terrible. Who they're? picked
2: Tom Brady? The Roger. greatest of all.
1: Who picked him? Yeah, Bill Belichick did. Yeah, uh, uh, what
2: number? He was like the 200-guy pick. Yeah, he was. At it, the 6th eighth well, round, everybody's sleep, You know
1: that. Right, uh, Robert, I get it. Uh, but the point the point uh, we were trying to make just there, and, and by the way, Mike White, fifth-round pick, pick number 171. I'm sure you've heard it by the Dallas Cowboys in 20, 2018. Listen, Mike White could be, the, the, I don't know, Joe Montana, uh, Dan Marino, Tom Brady. He could be all of those guys. But if your defense gives up forty-five points a game, you're not going to win a game. You're just not. And that score was deceiving. I was there. That game was over by halftime. The Colts defense. I moved down my seat. I snuck down a little bit by the Jets sideline. About with like seven minutes left in the game, I get down there and I'm watching the Colts defense. They are just they're just playing prevent defense. It was like there was no effort. And the Jets. You know what I mean? At that point, the game was over. Game was over. The Jets defense was horrible. Horrible. What a reprehensible effort by that unit. Really. The Jets put up 30 points and still are not able to score? I mean, able to win the game? Come on. Come on. Horrible. Awful showing by that by, by that defense. Didn't matter how many points Mike White or Josh Johnson or, or Tom Brady reincarnated. Put up. The Jets were losing that game because the defense, my grandmother can run through a hole in that defense created by that offensive line. Awful. Brutal. I literally had the Colts fans sitting around me on that 78-yard touchdown run. They were literally apologizing to me. I was the only person in that section wearing a green jersey. And the people were, were legitimately apologizing to me. <laughs> oh, that doesn't happen if, if it's a closed game. Game was over. Well over by that point. And then you lose Marcus May. He doesn't get traded. Then he tears his Achilles. Either way, I guess he's not playing for the Jets again this season. So there's that. And uh, you guys know the Mercurial Odell Beckham Jr. Maybe we should call them Goldilocks in the three teams. The New York Giants, disrespected is what he said. The Cleveland Browns, well, Baker Mayfield deliberately did not throw him the ball is what his father basically said. Which team will be just right for Odell? Where should he end up? And where does he end up? Well, those are two different questions. We'll tackle that coming up next on The Fan. Welcome back to Danielle at Dinnertime here in lower Manhattan on The Fan, on your radios, on your listening devices, in your cars, wherever you're headed. By the way, the free Odell movement has been realized rather swiftly, Yesterday, the Browns released a statement saying after careful consideration, internal discussions and conversations with Odell and his representation, we have determined that it is in the best interest of all parties involved that Odell no longer play for the Cleveland Browns. We admit, I'm sorry, we appreciate all his efforts and contributions while in Cleveland, but we've reached a point where it is best we move forward as a team without Odell. We are finalizing the process of granting Odell his release and we wish him well as he continues his career. End quote. Everyone's got an opinion about where Odell Beckham should play. But where he will play will depend on the waiver wire order. Call me up. Let me know what you think. Per NFL Network, Beckham has to agree to it. It has to be filed, and it has to be approved by the union. But he'll get put on waivers on Monday. He'll clear on Tuesday. So for me, the where should he play shortlist? Well, I think Odell, who is an emotional and sometimes irrational player, needs to go to a team with a veteran quarterback and a veteran head coach. From there, he's got to be the number one option because that is when he is most productive like he was here in New York in his career, I should say. That leaves only a few teams that fit those qualifications that I think he should go to. Not in really any particular order. Seattle Seahawks come to mind. Russell Wilson's always trying to get himself more help. Seattle's rushing offense is the 21st in the league in terms of total yardage. So maybe having Odell out there as another thing to game plan against would open up the box and help the ground game. But he wouldn't be the number one option there. Metcalf, Lockett, Beckham is probably the pecking order there. What about the Rams? Well, right now the Rams only have five wide receivers on their active roster, like in total. So they would need more help. They would need more bodies. Would Odell be the number one there? Is he better than Cooper Cup? I don't think so. And the Raiders, the obvious, I think. Henry Ruggs and his reprehensible decision-making that led to an innocent young woman and her innocent dog's death. But regardless, from an organizational football standpoint, the Raiders now need a guy to line up on the outside. And Odell Beckham Jr. in Sin City sounds like a perfect fit. As I was sitting on the plane back from Indianapolis, I was thinking about that marketability. It just sounds perfect. Too perfect. The Saints. The Saints need a veteran coach, Odell Beckett and Sean Payton. Uh, you know that veteran coach in, in Payton. I think Odell and, and he and he would get along great. There's that. Of course, the the LSU connection down there in Louisiana, the New Orleans area. Listen, the Saints have the 22nd pass offense. The only and they're the only team in the NFL without a 300-yard wide receiver on their roster. The only team with less cumulative receiving yards from wide receivers in this league than the New Orleans Saints is the Atlanta Falcons. I think Odell can help in that category. And the Packers, like I said, because the Packers' Aaron Rodgers was so vocal about wanting to help on the offensive side of the ball. I think Odell is actually more talented than their top two receivers. in. in uh, and if you look at a roster of, of Beckham, Cobb, and Lazard, It sounds like a great wide receiver core to me. So teams cannot contact him, but players can. But what do you think Baker Mayfield is telling his friends on on those other teams? I think he's telling them, texting them, stay away. Because ending the Browns' 18-year playoff drought without Odell Beckham Jr., Baker was a much better player without Odell. I mean, look at his completion percentage was higher. His passer rating was much higher. His touchdown-to-interception ratio was much better. And look at the waiver wire, but... The salary picture: only nine teams have the ability to claim him based on his current salary. So his reps and the Browns are in the process of agreeing to a reduced salary near the league minimum. And the rest will be converted to a signing bonus. Wouldn't it be interesting if the Lions made a move? They're first on the waiver wire. You thought Cleveland was the place to go for careers to to die? Detroit says, hold my beer. But number two intrigues me. Should the Lions pass the Miami Dolphins? Imagine if they work out a deal for Watson next season. Watson, Waddle, and Beckham. Hmm. Anyway, where do you guys think Odell Beckham will end up? The good news is we'll know for sure, by my hopefully by the time of my next show on Tuesday. Let's go. Justin and Deer Park, you're up on the fan.
4: I have a feeling you will lead. that conversation was going to lead into my call.
1: Yep. Where do you think he's going to go?
4: Um, I... I'm thinking I could see him possibly ending up somehow with Brady somehow or with somehow Aaron Rodgers at some point.
1: So uh, Brady, I don't know, because that wide receiver room is absolutely stacked. I don't know if there's room for Odell there, but that, uh, you saw, uh, I was thinking about this too, like a guy like Antonio Brown, his ego went out the window to play with Tom Brady, so maybe. But Aaron Rodgers, I don't know. I That intrigues me too.
4: Yeah, I just can't see like a Detroit or Miami. Well. But, but- they're one and two of, on the waiver wire. Yep. Yeah, also, because of Odell's personality, you need someone like I was just talking to my dad before we as, as I was going on. We did for you. He thinks maybe best thing he can fit with New England just for a bell check to straighten him up.
1: Yeah. Except it's only going to be and Justin thinks for the called. It's only going to be. Uh, uh, this is it. The rest of the season. And then he's got he's up for a new deal. But I think Miami is intriguing for a guy like that. Vegas, Miami. Big city type guy. I'm intrigued. I really am. Let's go George in New York. You're up on the fan, George. George. Uh Uh-oh. We lost you there. Uh, Give us a call back. 877-337-6666. And we'll get you right back on, George. Okay? Uh, Let's go to Patrick in Verona. You're up on the fan.
5: Danielle, how are you?
1: I'm good. How are you? I'm
5: doing good, thank you. It's it's ironic that you guys are talking about Odell because when Odell was initially traded, I called in to Joe and... Joe and Evan, and mm-hmm. so, many, like, so many times I was so mad that the Giants let him go. Mm-hmm. But um, I want to talk about Daniel Jones for a minute. You know, this, everyone's saying the jury's out on Daniel Jones. The thing about Daniel Jones, is, from like what I've seen, He's a circumstantial quarterback, and he needs the right circumstances in order for him to be successful. And the issue with the Giants is that they are not capable of creating the circumstances necessary for him to look good. You know, he'll look decent against a good defense, against a you know a a, a mediocre defense, but when it it comes down to you know playing against you know one of the one of the sixteen top tier teams in the league. Dj's not the kind of guy that's going to make those types of plays on his own he can't win games on his own no, I disagree exactly.
1: with that I, he did it on the first game he ever played with the Giants are you
5: talking about the red are you talking like go back to like like the Reds game like his first year that he, like, that he that he ever won there was like he, that was that, that was the chase young game you know like they won that game and then he walked out against chase young but he hasn't what what big defense has he gone up against where he's performed well against that they have won yeah but he needs everything
1: to go well he needs Patrick, how could how could you sit there and say that? And thanks for the call. But I, and, and I'm up against the break, and I'm sorry sure, about this. On. Sorry, I had to cut you off there. But listen, how could you sit there and say that about Daniel Jones when he's been playing with like Z League wide receivers throughout this? When he's been playing for literally almost almost two full seasons without his stud running back behind him? I think this guy has shown you everything that he that that he can be the franchise quarterback moving forward. He's tough. He's gritty. He he. He's the prototype. When you want a new quarterback, number one, who are you replacing him with? Okay, that's first. Number two, what characteristics are you looking for in that new quarterback? Can he throw the ball deep? Okay, Daniel Jones can. Can he run the ball with efficiency? Yes, Daniel Jones can. Like he's got the best of both worlds. I, and I understand why you might think that everything needs to go perfect, but how about he just has, you know, a couple of good players at his disposal? I don't think that's perfect. I think that's normal. I think it's normal. So again, taking a look at the Giants injury report um coming up for this game against the Raiders. You're thinking, okay, um who's going to be back? Who's going to be at his disposal? Not a here. Let me go down the list here. Week 9. Saquon Barkley out. Uh offensive onset. Uh Sterling Shepard out. John Ross questionable. I mean, Kadarius Tony limited practice all week. Kenny Galladay, limited in practice all week, questionable. So I, I don't. I, I think the guy's showing you everything and more that he could be the quarterback of the future moving forward. And I don't think that you can make uh, an assumption on him either way. I said I think, I don't know. But I don't think you can make an assumption on him either way without not even his full compliment. three-quarters of his complement of offense behind him. Welcome back to McCartan Before Midnight here on The Fan in New York City. We've got a bunch of topics going. Jets, Giants, Yankees have optioned, or not optioned, but the Yankees have not protected the three guys that um, represented the, the the culture shift for the team. The Mets can't find anybody to take over their president of baseball, Ops. I mean, wow, it's a sad state for sports in New York City, but from right here, I'm going to head to Madison Square Garden to catch my first ever in-person UFC fight Media check-in has actually already happened, but I'm obviously here. Can't be in two places at one time, so huge thank you to the UFC media staff for allowing me to come late. This is going to be a good one tonight. The main event, Usman defending his welterweight belt against the number one contender, Covington, in a rematch. So, if you're a fight fan, I'm going to meet, by the way, Pete Hoffman. He's going to be there. I'm going to be meeting him there, and stay tuned because he and I are going to be putting up some digital content from the Garden for you guys. My first fight, he's a seasoned veteran. And speaking of, our interview with the one and only great friend of the show, Misha Tate, coming up at 6.20. So don't move, fight fans. I promise it's going to be a good one. Let's go back to the calls at 877-337-6666. Michael in Lake Mary, Florida. You're up on the fan.
6: Coach, how are you?
1: I'm great now that I received a nice UPS box from you, it's Postal Service oh, box.
7: Good. Awesome, awesome. Enjoy, Thank you. Enjoy. Anyway, I want to talk a little bit further about the Joe Judge non-working headsets uh, media fiasco, I'll
1: call it. Wait, I can't hear you. My headset's so, not working. I'm just kidding. <laughs>
7: anyway. I mean, the problem I'm having with this is that, you know, he's telling he's telling us only, first of all, only after the media questioned him yeah. about the clock management, oh, the headsets haven't been working. So, you know, this has been going on. You don't have a contingency pl- plan in place, but yet you're putting a contingency plan in place for the potential loss of your staff of this
1: COVID situation. Yeah, right. So-
7: Right, very, very inconsistent in your preparation, Coach. And you know what else, I, I, too?
1: He was saying, oh, it was inconsistently happening throughout the season. Okay, well, then the NFL basically came out and said, well, this is the first we're ever hearing about this, and your headsets were fine, basically. It, exactly.
7: And and honestly, if from what I remember, what the rule is, if any of the equipment is not working and you're alerting the officials, the officials are supposed to tell the other team to turn their headsets off. Right. So nothing like that comes out, and then... It just looks like egg on his face with yeah. the NFL is making that statement. It and looks bad. honestly. And the last point, and then I'll let you, and I'll let you uh, take it from here. Mm-hmm. Is you know that's the culture of a losing team. Just excuses for execution, finding ways to lose games. It's just you could predict it's going to happen. I could I could predict when it was seventeen seventeen and the Chiefs had the ball. They're coming now. They're kicking the field goal. I see this too often, mm-hmm. and I don't see anything change in there but anyway coach you have a great night it's always a great pleasure to talk to you oh, thanks
1: Michael and thanks for the package I really appreciate that well,
7: you're welcome always take care
1: finding ways to lose games this Giants team I'd have to agree with it I mean they had the Chiefs on the ropes they did starting at the first drive with the, the interception of, of Mahomes on that Jeter like jump throw in the end zone had him on the ropes and then Daniel Jones turns it over right away Interception right away. Then you got the series of penalties that that removed them from contention for any points before the half, and then you had the offsides uh, on a uh, on that final drive there, which they had they picked the ball off, they had it intercepted, and it was brought back and given back to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs because the offsides penalty. I mean, come on, talk about that. Finding ways to lose, yeah, I, d- I definitely agree with that. Howard Beach, we go. Joe, you're on the fan. Oh, hey, Joe.
3: Hiya. I want to ask you a question.
8: Yeah. With Odell, he's always he's always hurt, and he's nothing but a big headache to every team he's on. Mm-hmm. Why would anybody want to want to get him? He, he's a headache. He's just a headache. Ah,
1: well, he's good for ticket sales.
9: He's good for ticket sales, but he gets the team a headache if you if, if you don't get enough plays. He's, Playing about the quarterback, it's the same thing with the Giants.
10: Yeah, oh, yeah, I it's the same agree with thing you. thing
8: with the Giants. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know why a coach would want him, but he's a big headache, you know. Yeah,
1: Joe, I agree with you from a football standpoint. But you're asking me why a team would want to sign him. Well, I look at the Detroit Lions, they're first on the waiver wire. I look at the Miami Dolphins, they're second on the waiver wire. Then you got the Houston Texans, third. Jacksonville Jaguars, fourth. I'd have to assume that these teams who are pretty crappy have a hard time putting fannies in the the stands, putting fannies in the seats after a pandemic season. Odell Beckham's on your team. He is immediate draw, especially in a city like Miami. Especially in a Miami. And by the way, just so everybody's clear here, the Jets are fifth on the waiver wire and the Giants are sixth. Can you imagine if he ends back up in New York with the Giants? Can you imagine the quarterback that he didn't want is gone. Eli Manning's retired. Can you imagine, Giant fans? No, right? That can't happen, right? Lou and Astoria, you're up on the fam.
9: Hey, Daniel, how are you?
1: Good. How are you, Luke?
9: I'm Lou, good. Sorry. I'm great. I'm great. Listen, um, I don't know. The media gets excited, but this this thing with Mike White, you know, the the, the guy's been around. Okay, he's been with different teams.
1: Well, just the Cowboys and the Jets.
9: I thought there was somebody else that that had him, wasn't it? No. No, okay, then I'm wrong. But anyway, that was just one game. And if you, the game that you just happened to witness, Mm -hmm. when they put the pressure on him, you know what? I wish he didn't get hurt because I really want to see what he can do. Me too. But the only way that this guy will play is if Jack Wilson, like he's right now, coincident that he's hurt. Otherwise, listen, I'm sorry, but you know what I mean? Uh, Unless Jack Wilson goes out there and. And can I do the job? I, I don't understand it. I mean, he threw. The, what was the longest pass that he made in that 400 yards that, he, that 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 game that he had? What was the longest yard that he completed?
1: Hmm. I can look that up for you on the next gen stats. Yeah,
9: please. I don't think it was more than than than, than than 20 yards. I don't know. Anyway, on the Yankees, yes. Uh, the only person, the only player that I really, I'm, I'm very upset is for Greg Allen. Okay. The other guys, you know, you know that we was going to get a shortstop anyway. So, right. but we already got um, an infielder that can really, you know, either uh, O'Shello, which should be the third baseman, but you also got Wade. So I don't have a problem with that. Okay,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, I'm with you. Hey, you, you know, look, we don't agree much, but these are two points that I agree with you on so do, far. Always
9: saying the, <laughs> the opposite. Anyway, when it comes to to Allen, I mean, even if he was not going to be a regular, give him a chance. He's a contact hitter. He can do everything. Mm-hmm. He's just not a power hitter. He's not. He doesn't strike out. Mm-hmm. The guy put the balls in play. He looks like on a bat, like, 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 like it's worth watching. You know, not not like all these crazy guys that we had. I don't want to even mention them. But you know what I'm saying? I know give what him you're the saying. opportunity. Why? Why did you get rid of this guy? I mean, this is why. I mean, the media here is very, it's very, it's poison. But the GM, I don't, I, I can't freaking out. I, I, I don't understand. I mean, why is, why is it you didn't give this guy a chance? I, 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 I can't just figure it out. As a Yankees fan. I'm better frustrated, and I want the, the the shortstop that I want. It's not Correa, okay? I don't want to hear it. I don't want to have another no. indoor in, yeah, no. in, in New York. And, and now, when the, when the media is probably going to allow it to go into the clubhouse, no, nope. you know, it's it's not going to work. Sieger. I want Cimin from the Toronto Blue Jays, which is a tremendous uh, player. He, he he steals base and also he can provide a good shortstop. And you know what? And and then we take from the competition which is our team to what really – I think the Toronto Bull J is going to be a great team for the future. We take something away from them. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, before you go, um, I, yeah. did, I looked it up. Mike White in that game where he threw, whatever, 405 yards, three touchdowns, Yeah. the farthest pass that he attempted and actually completed – 20-yard touchdown pass.
9: Hey, listen, I didn't even realize that. Thank you so much. Yeah. See, this is what I'm saying. It's only one freaking game. Yeah, I know. The media wants this guy to play. No, not me. Start, no, no, no. But I'm saying no, not, not you. Listen, we never get along, but we do.
10: Mm-hmm.
9: But in but the media right now, I mean, there's shows over there that that, that if this guy uh, put puts out Wilson and extinct the place, somebody's going to get fired. This is what the problem is with it, with New York, with New York team. Look what happened to Alex Rodriguez, I just brought this up before on another show, that the guy goes into the, into, the, into the men's room, doesn't wash his hand, and it's a front-page news in the, in, in the New York Times. You know? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. And look what happened. To, if this guy, Alindor, if the, if, if the media was allowed to go into the clubhouse, you think that, that choking would be just that? It would. I mean, there will be a fight between the media and everybody else, and probably somebody else would get in trouble. Yeah.
1: No, you know I, what I'm saying? Yeah. I, mean, Ooh, I got you. No, I get it. I get it. And and Mike White, he had a great game. He he had a, he was on his way to having a, a great game in Indianapolis as well. And listen, I'm still on the on the on the on the record saying that once Zach Wilson is ready, you put him back in. That's it. That's it. Because don't get away from yourselves here, Jets fans. You're not making the playoffs. No one thought the Jets were going to make the playoffs to start this season at all. There wasn't a single soul that said, you know what? The Jets might make the playoffs this season. They might. It's, it, for the Jets, it's it, this season, everybody knew it coming in. It was the development of a rookie quarterback named Zach Wilson. That was it. Don't lose sight of that. And like a caller suggested before, maybe you could parlay Mike White into something else. But the good news about having him is that if Zach Wilson is not a 100% I'm not talking 95, 98, 99%. If he's not 100%, his butt should be on the bench versus the Bills. And I'm going to that game. I would love to see Zach Wilson. But if he's not 100%, don't put him in. Build Mike White's stock up a little bit. Then you got some quarterback-hungry teams that might want to try to make a, make a deal with it. But as soon as Wilson's ready, 100% ready, he's going back in. Coming up next, on the fan here in New York City, my one-on-one with Misha Tate and Pete Hoffman. Tonight is UFC 268 from the Garden. We'll talk about her uh, her comeback. She's got a fight coming up on the 20th. And we'll preview a little bit UFC 268. You guys on hold? Keep, stay there. I got you coming on the other side of that interview. And up next, Misha Tate with me and Pete Hoffman. I got the got a very special segment for you today everybody i'm joined by not one but two special guests first up someone you guys know very well pete hoffman host of the fight fan podcast here on the fan pete
11: what's up how are we doing and, thanks for having me
1: and mma pioneer ufc champion and most importantly great friend of the show misha tate 2.0 misha welcome back hey of course my pleasure thanks for having me always thinking of me i appreciate that As always all right so misha tate 2.0 is one and oh. Next up, UFC Fight Night at the Apex Center in Vegas, November 20th, the main event. What degree of pressure does headlining a card add to the comeback?
12: Well, you know what? I've been there and done it all before. You know, it's, it's not my first rodeo. I fought a lot of five-round fights. I mean, I would think if anyone was going to feel a lot of pressure, it's got to be Ketlin. I mean, she's coming off of a loss. She's never fought a five round fight that I'm aware of, certainly not in the UFC. And people still, I think, don't exactly know what to expect from me. And that's, that's fair to say, you know, I took a long time off and I, I got a lot better. So I have a lot of tools and tricks up my sleeve. I don't, I just don't really feel like I, I feel good. I feel right at home. This is the progression that I wanted. You know, my first fight back, I was like, I don't, I don't definitely don't want a five round fight. I just want to like ease into this, but you know, I'm, I am gunning for a title fight. That's eventually where I want to end up. So this is the proper progression, right? I'm fighting somebody just outside the top five, moving into a five round fight, right? It seems like everything is lining up perfectly for me to make that statement that I want to make. And eventually find myself throwing fists with Amanda.
11: Misha, you know, you talk about, you know, you're a veteran of the sport, you're making your return. Tell me how comfortable you are in the cage itself, because I've noticed that with age, you grow so much knowledge. Yeah. How is it? How is it taking on someone as in Kellen's style?
12: Well, it's it's true. Like MMA is a sport where probably more so than than most other sports that I can think of that strategy is such an important part. I mean, you look at the NFL, you look at NBA, you look at a lot of, especially team sports, you know, it really is so much about how fast you can be, how athletic you can be. And that's obviously important in MMA too, strength, athleticism, speed, accuracy. These are important. You know, we are professional athletes, but we also have to be cerebral. We also have to be very intelligent. We have to make the right decisions, you know, hundreds of thousands of decisions throughout a fight and all of those have to be close you know as close to correct as possible there's a very little room for error if you want to be the best in this sport so the more time that you get to do that i think the more uh you get better at fine-tuning those things and making better choices and better decisions you just get smarter as you go you know it's like somebody the difference of somebody playing checkers and the difference of somebody understanding
1: chess I'm sure you've dissected it and studying your own tape from the fight back in July. Um, what, what are some takeaways that you had from studying that tape? Well, I
12: think I got a lot better in the striking, as I mentioned. Um, I maybe didn't get to showcase it as much as I wanted. I mean, a good portion of the fight was definitely on the feet. I feel like I could have been pressed the action a little bit more there, but you know what? It had been four years and nine months, 1,709 days since my last time gloving up and throwing down. So Honestly, um, I was really happy with the performance. I think I could have got, a, got her out of there sooner. But look, I wanted the time and the experience anyways. I was having fun in there. I was enjoying myself. I got a finish over a woman who's never been finished. Despite it being in the third round, I think it was great. I, I think the, the thing that I showed the most improvement was I kept my feet under me. I didn't get ahead of myself. You know, I used to lean a lot into a kind of a brawling style, head first take a shot to give a shot and grab a hold of someone. And I feel like much more connected and I understand striking in a different, a different philosophy than I did before. So for the first time in my career, I'm, I'm striking to strike. I'm not striking just to wrestle or just to grapple. So I can still do that. Obviously it's what I did the majority of my career, but the fact that I can be deadly on my feet now too, you know, I want to continue to showcase that
11: um we saw the vintage misha tate celebration after your last victory um it it looked awesome it was it was amazing it's it's great to see because you especially as being a huge mma fan of my, like myself you love seeing the 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 idols of the sport still continue to prosper um, you talked about though your striking has improved was there someone particularly that that actually helped you Click on the striking.
12: I would. got I got to give credit to my coach, Rick Little. You know, for the first time in my career, he's taken that that sort of lead position in in structuring the camp. More so than that, you know, what I even have to say, I've actually taken the initiative of structuring my camp because he has been. He's remote, but he's the one that gives me the feedback to help me be a better athlete. And for the first time, things are turning over in my brain in a way that I never understood before. So they're not even major corrections. It's just a lot about for me, staying in stance, staying in good position. I did that always in my wrestling and I, you know, strive to always do that in my grappling and my wrestling, but in the striking, I never understood the concept and I'm very conceptual. I'm very intellectual and, I, and I'm very cerebral, I think, when I fight, um, but I just didn't know how to apply that portion to my striking. So I ended up with this very tough, gritty, brawling style of fight. until it I got to the ground and then you could see that I had some, you know, some technical skills there. But I'm really excited to not feel so pressured right before it was like I had to get it to the ground, you know, because I just never felt like I was as good as the other person was on the feet or as confident, you know, I just wasn't going to win a fight there. That has completely changed for me. I think you guys are going to start seeing a much more well-rounded Misha Tate. You're going to start seeing knockouts. You're going to see things that you've never seen before because it's it's like all the dots are connecting all the, the, the light bulbs are on. And I just, I get it. I'm like, now I understand. Okay. This is, this is the, this is Tate 2.0.
1: I love it. I can't wait for it. We're joined by Pete Hoffman, WFAN's MMA guru, and the Misha Tate UFC Fight Night's November 20th main event, part of. I know now that you guys are all healthy, um, you know, you and everybody else, uh, COVID and stuff, but how has that COVID postponement altered your camp this time around?
12: Well, I'll tell you one thing that sucked about it is that I was supposed to be done fighting before Halloween and I was going to totally tax my kids their due candy tax for being their parents. And I did not get to do that. So I am a little more pissed off than I than I normally would be going into a fight. So someone's <laughs> head's going <gotta> to roll. <laughs> but no, other than that, I mean, we postponed the fight for four weeks and I think it was certainly the right decision truthfully when i got sick with covid um it took me about two weeks to really start feeling like myself and those were two really important weeks just the meat of camp so i'm glad that i postponed it it was certainly the right decision but by the time the actual fight day rolled around i was like i feel i feel good enough like i could have fought today but you didn't you know i couldn't have known that so i had to bank on you know the fact that i needed the time to recover and and i'm glad i did because i got to put the game plan together a lot more you know i would have been i was out of the gym for entirely two weeks um my eye got sick and then my kids got sick and we couldn't have anyone come watch the kids because well <laughs> nobody else wants to catch covid go figure so <laughs> i'm glad because it enabled my strategy you know physically i felt like i was really good and i probably could have still fought october 16th but having that extra four weeks to just make sure everything was perfect and to uh, hone in the skill set. It's a really important part of what we do. You know, it worked out perfectly. So hey, I will still get to finish fighting before Thanksgiving. So I'll be fat and happy on Thanksgiving. I'll be enjoying my Christmas and my New Year's. And then you know, after after New Year's, we'll look again at some fights. But I don't even want to hear the word bout agreement or anything like that until after the New Year's.
1: And uh, did you hoard
12: any of the candy? What's, what's the candy of choice? So it's really funny. I told Johnny that one of my favorite candies—we're talking obviously talk about candies—is uh, is Babe Ruth. That is like my candy bar. Like, but I feel like you can't just like go into a Safeway or or Vons or whatever and buy a Babe Ruth. Like, they just don't exist. The full size candy bar are easily accessible anymore, and it makes me sad. So he was going through Maya's candy and like he's like eating candy in bed and, and whatever you know he's <laughs> watching a show. And he rolls over to me and he like pokes me in the arm. He says, hey, babe, I have something for you, but you can't have it till after your fight. And I was like, what is it? And then he handed me like a little Babe Ruth, a little (laughs) bite-sized So I have, one. I do have a Babe Ruth, a little bite-sized one in my nightstand that's waiting to be unwrapped and devoured. So probably late on the, on November 20th, that, that little piece of candy will no longer be. Picklebacks and baby roots. Got it. (laughs) Yep. (laughs)
11: uh misha let me ask you a question. how long do you like to i mean obviously right now you're talking you're not gonna fight fight for a little bit but typically when you're most active when do you what's the routine when do you want to typically get back into the cage um
12: every like four months which that's that was actually it was right on time. so july august september october it would have been three months it would have been a really quick turnaround but this is four Mm -hmm. months so three to four months i feel like is a pretty good time Four, every four months lets me fight three times a year, so I think that's reasonable. Yeah, I'll, be, I'll probably be looking to fight again around March. So obviously that's a little longer than 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 uh, four months, but this was originally supposed to be a long uh, a, was supposed to be a quick turnaround. Got extended because of COVID, mm. and then I was like, I just want to enjoy the holidays because I'm a, I'm a family woman now. I got my mo- mom duties, you know. I got <laughs> presents to wrap. I got cookies to eat. I got I got to <laughs> be able to bite the Santa cookie, you know. all that stuff so (laughs) i've got me misha tate and pete hoffman here with me on the show
1: here um so ufc 268 at the garden um it's right down the street from the station so i'm gonna go to it after the show is over this is my first live fight
12: ever any tips for me Oh my gosh. First life fight ever at the garden. Ever, ever. Way to ruin any other experience. You just go straight for the, the the cake and just eat. Take it all, man. Um, No, I mean, there, I don't think there's tips to enjoying a fight. I wish there was something that I could say would be really cool. Other than, you know, grab a beer, sit down and enjoy. Like, it's great for people watching, too, because people get really into it. You're probably notice some some riley fans and that's always part of the experience right is to pay attention to the audience a little bit right absorb that vibe um and especially because we have to be more grateful for that than ever because we're living in a pandemic time where you never know when you might not get that experience again so i would say live it up girl do whatever you do (laughs) to enjoy going out and 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 enjoying a sporting event i mean i think you're a pro with that you attend many baseball games and i'm sure you have you have it pretty well down pat but what a good card to go to i'm i'm stoked for this like this card is a good card it's a really good card
11: well misha that's my next question is uh, you know this is this is a stack like i love the, first of all every time the ufc comes to new york to Madison Square Garden, they always, it's its a stacked card. Like, you won the first one, the UFC 205 uh, with Conor McGregor, uh, and, and now this one in particular is just through the roof. So many good fights. You have Colby Covington, Kamaru Usman, Rose Namunis, Wally Zhang. Is there, which fight in particular are you most excited to watch?
12: Truthfully, I'm, I am most excited to watch Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler. Mm. There's a couple reasons for that i've already seen you know covington and Usman. i've already seen rose and Lee. even though um i'm very much looking forward to those rematches i think i already know what's going to happen in the rose fight i feel like she's she it wasn't a fluke like i, I feel like that's gotta be the only reason that way saying is even getting a rematch right now and that's not enough on her it just usually the way that the ufc works is You don't get immediate rematches unless you've been a very dominant champion for a very long time, or it was such a very close competitive fight that you could, and it was outstanding and you could argue it either way. And it was neither of those. So I think the only thing we could lean on is that maybe people think that this happened in 60 seconds. Maybe she just got caught. Maybe if we run it back, it's a totally different fight. I'm not buying into that. I think Rose Namajunas floats like a butterfly stings like a bee and she is a badass woman and she is the best in that division for me, hands down. We we saw what happened in the rematch with Ioana Janjacek, you know? Some people also thought, oh, you know, she caught her and it's going to be a different fight. Nope, <laughs> like Rose is just a savage. So I'm pretty sure that fight is going to be rose Rose's fight. But I think it'll take longer to get it done this time because I think waley will be more tentative, right? She's gonna be a little bit more cautious. She doesn't want to get caught. Um, but Justin Gage and Michael Chandler, we've never seen that fight. These are two men who are willing to throw themselves right into the coals of the fire to, you know, get the flame going. And and uh Michael Chandler's explosive. He starts out fast, he's powerful, probably the strong physically stronger of the two but you've got justin gaethje who just doesn't go away Mm. like if you can't if you cannot control justin gaethje then good luck to you because i don't know how you hurt him i mean have we ever seen the man like hurt like he just he can take you know and he will he can absorb the punishment and and just dish it out tenfold so I think that this fight really comes down to a durability. I think that it's, it's going to be who is the most durable because I think they will go guns blazing in all departments. And we can't forget that Justin Gaethje is an all American wrestler. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't see his wrestling a lot in in his fights because he doesn't offensively use it because his striking is so savage. It's unorthodox, but it's very savage. Uh, He doesn't have to, but he does use it well defensively. He's got great takedown defense. So there we have
11: it. I was speaking to him yesterday, Misha, and he said that uh, the way he started out his career, he was he used to really have to touch his opponents because he couldn't see well. He had to get surgery to to see better to to fight. I mean, I don't know. Have you ever had an eye issue in the in the cage? I mean, I can't imagine being in the cage, strike the way he does, and not be able to see properly.
12: One fight uh, with Sarah McMahon, I got she broke my orbital bone. For those of you who don't know, it's like that eggshell shell, shell, thin bone that kind of holds your eye in place. So when she cracked that, it kind of just threw my vision off. It almost looked like there were two of her stacked on top of each other. So that was really an odd feeling in the proprioception, you know, you rely a lot on your vision to have balance and understand where you are. So that was weird. Um, But I've never been like blind in a fight, I've never been like not able to see, but I've had just that experience where it was confusing. I was still seeing, but I wasn't sure what the hell I was seeing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, call me selfish, but uh, I know we talked last time about you being here in New York. Any plans for you to be here fighting at MSG? No, unfortunately, no. I don't even know when the next one is. I, You know what? Let me tell you the truth. Uh, honestly, I was gunning for that card, and then someone pointed out to me that there's a lot more tax taken because I live in Nevada and there's no state income tax here. So it was like, if I go and fight there, I lose a lot more money. And then I was kind of like, that's kind of, I, I, I'd rather stay here anyway. So I was like, <laughs> I'd rather, this my home. I get to go home and kiss my kids afterwards. Like easy for me. Um, you know, the, the, the goal of this, it's definitely different in balancing my entire life. And I, I feel like it makes me so much more vicious and scary because I don't, I don't fear what I used to fear. I used to fear like, Oh, if I take a chance and if I lose and if I, if I'm not desperately trying to get this fight to the ground and just do what I can to win that like, I'm a loser. Like if I lost, I was a loser, you know? And, and now I don't see it like that. It's like, I have everything that I need in my life. I'm doing this because I want to, it is not my sole purpose in life. It's not my value in life, but it is my passion, my desire. And it's the one thing that I do completely for myself. And I'm 110% devoted, but without the pressure of, you know, fearing that risk, you know, like if you lose that, that you lose everything, that's just not, it's not how I feel. So I guess, you don't fear losing as much you're gonna go out there to 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 win you know i mean some people fight not to lose and i think sometimes honestly i was in the most dominant positions and i was still more concerned with not getting reversed and possibly losing than i was just going all in and finishing fights you know what i mean that's so, so that's going to be different this time around and and you i think you saw that right because most people could not finish marie renault she's she's a black belt she's well-rounded she's tough and the one thing she knows how to do is to stay in fights. But I got her out of there and um looking the same thing on the 20th.
11: Uh, Misha, my final question. I mean, and I, just to piggyback off, I've actually spoken to plenty of fighters where they say they do not want to fight in New York because of the taxes. So you're not the only one. A lot of people like that. <laughs> um, and, and also to piggyback, too, I've heard a lot of veterans say, too, that if once you're like a foot out the door, out the cage, it's not worth to, to fight because it's just too dangerous for it. Yep. So you really have to be all in. But my final question to you is just because back to UFC 268, I'm so excited about this card. Um, Kamaru Usman, Colby Covington, the rematch, two wrestlers, they basically cancel each other out, So which is why the stand-up was the way it was the first time around. Do you see the fight going any different or do we see another slugfest?
12: I see the fight going slightly different in that I think Kamaru will probably get it done earlier. A little earlier and like these these guys are in a very close race, you know, they're in a rat race pretty much in, in a lot of the departments. You know, Colby has phenomenal wrestling and I think he beats every other guy in his division. But who can beat Kamaro Usman? That oh, is buddy. the question. Who? Who can beat Kamaro Usman? Because his wrestling is the best. And he does not get taken down. And he's so strong and he's so powerful. And then and then you take him and you put him with Trevor Whitman, who was, you know, as also gotta give a little credit. You know, I did go out there and train with him for a few days before my last fight. Um, and he's very similar in his theory with my coach Rick, which was was great to see. You know that I'm in good hands with both of them, but you know, he is he thinks outside the box, he knows how to connect you your mind and your body, and put it all together because look what he did with Rose look what he did with Justin these are two primarily uh fundamentally grappling based fighters when i used to watch rose Namajunas back in invicta you know it wasn't her striking that stood out it was her fearlessness that she went out and did flying arm bars and flying triangles and she had a sick grappling game and a good takedowns it wasn't her striking now it is that's because of trevor whitman and then you take a, a you know an all-American wrestler in, in Justin Gaethje and you turn him into a savage striker who knocks people out, who gets fired in the night. I mean, that's Trevor Whitman. You see what he did in that fight with Masvidal, right? I, I oh mean, my god! those yeah. are the small changes that he's making. And of the two athletes, I have to, I do believe that Kamaro is the more evolved since they've even fought. And he was, you know, a little bit better the last time they fought. So I just think that gap is probably widened a little bit. I mean, so I've got to go with, with That That's my opinion. Obviously, it's a fight. Anything can happen. I think Colby would be wise to try to wrestle more, you know, to push a pace on tomorrow on and give him more things to, to worry about than to just primarily make this a striking slugfest um, because that's definitely where I think tomorrow has evolved. Uh, if you could even imagine that man <laughs> getting any more badass, he seems to have done it
1: so um i'm gonna be coming for you pretty soon in a couple months you know so i have my first brazilian Jitsu practice on wednesday
12: you need like lot uh, like at least three hair ties okay <laughs> at least three hair ties um a good sports bra something tight. are you going in, in for a gi we don't know i don't know maybe okay. i would like to i gi- would like to no gi- okay if it's not gi then i would suggest layering up on your bottoms because you don't think about it but your spandex when you get in weird awkward positions tends to turn transparent <laughs> you can see the whole cookie so make sure that you uh, double up that's why i'm always wearing the like a pair of shorts over my leggings if you've ever noticed my trainings i'm always doing that because you don't want to sh- you want to show it all off so uh be distracting so th- those are my tips for you <laughs> thanks i will definitely do that thank you because i had no idea
1: all right well pete hoffman thanks for joining misha tate best of luck to you i will obviously be watching and rooting for you and um you know we're we're big fans so thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us on the show
12: anytime it's always my pleasure thank you both and we'll take your giants
1: jets yankees mets and even some ufc calls at 877-337-6666
13: Call the fan at 877-337-6666. Powered by Super Bowl. Better odds and favorable prices.
1: Welcome back to Danielle at dinnertime here in New York. Uh, Paul Rosenberg is now behind the glass after fighting the same traffic that I did on the way in. So, Paul, welcome. Welcome in. You guys give me a call at 877-337-6666. I did mention that right from here, right out the door. I'm gonna be going to going into Madison Square Garden for UFC 268. Maybe I'll see some of you guys there. If, you, if you're going, tweet me, at Coach MCCARTAN. It's my first UFC fight in person ever. Now, I was in Vegas when uh, Misha Tate had her first comeback fight, but... Was, uh, you know, during uh, it was July. It was COVID restricted, and and UFC is very strict with that and all that, and especially in a very small arena like like the Apex Center is. Um, but we did go to the after party and everything, so that was fun, a fun time. And uh, I am absolutely rooting for her uh, on the twentieth of of course, duh, obviously. All right, to the calls we go 877-337-6666, Floral Park and Paul, you're up on the fan.
0: Danielle, how are you? I'm good. You Paul, how are you? Good, good. Trying to hang in there, you know, to things have been a little crazy for me. Yeah. But I'm uh, but, um, still me, yeah. Good, I'm glad. Uh, that sounds like, yeah, I mean, that sounds like fun. You're going to the, uh, to the, to, to the wow. fight.
1: Yeah, we'll wow. see. to the
0: USA. Good for you. <laughs> but but well, I hope you enjoy it.
10: Thank good.
0: you. Good. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, poor, uh, poor, jo- poor uh, Joe D from Brooklyn. That's so sad to hear about that. God. What happened? I, I mean, I couldn't. Oh, see, yeah, Joe. Don't you um? did you remember calling Joe Dave? Yeah, yeah. He was from Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. He he passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. They, to hear. Uh, they said something. Yeah, they said something about it last night. Oh, I'm sorry. And
10: then to Robbie
0: that. was talking. Yeah, yeah. He, he 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 was a big Yankee fan. I know. Oh, he called me all the time. I, I,
1: I used to call him Joe DiMaggio. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't think I was too yeah, funny. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's right. Oh, that's I'm sorry right. to hear and then that. I, and yeah, and then I uh, then I started to think back to my father and stuff like that and. Yeah, oh uh, Scott, but uh, but he was a big Ranger fan. He used to tell me that he used to go to the Ranger games at the old Madison Square Garden, mm-hmm. 34th and 8th, back in the 30s and 40s, and yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he started becoming an Islander fan because of me. Oh, yeah. look at that. Yeah, the same thing with the Yankees, because he was Brooklyn Dodgers and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah well, sorry yeah, to hear but,
10: that.
0: Yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah, but uh, I hope uh, things get better for the Giants and Jets. <laughs> I doubt it. Uh, don't hold your breath. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, all right. All right. But now, uh, Yeah. We'll see.
1: Uh- Uh-oh, Paul dropped off. He got so excited he dropped off. <laughs> I didn't do that. Paul, you didn't do it either. I know that. Uh, all right, Paul. Hey, and by the way, I'm looking at my, my active parking session. twenty. 20- 19, 18 seconds left of my session here. So I'm going to have to refresh this for the remaining couple minutes because it's free after seven o'clock out here. I just, I hope there's not a police officer standing next to the car <laughs> waiting for this to expire. But uh, let's go to North Arlington. And James, I, I'm going to have to renew this and re up this while you talk. James, you're up on the fan. That's fine. I know we're <laughs>
14: about to talk. You don't want to get a ticket. Uh, I'll tell you, you definitely must have gone to the my Mike Francesa School or the Bruce Beck School of Journalism, because I'll tell you, you love taking calls. And, and I'll tell you, I think that's fantastic, because uh, that's what talk radio is all about. I Taking as like many calls as possible. Yeah. And, uh, I don't want to just keep giving you compliments, but I can't help it. I mean, and, and, and you know, having been, uh, I don't know, lucky enough to, to, to be like a reporter for the last 50 years, and actually I'm a member of, of the BWAA, so I do get to vote for the Boxing Hall of Fame. I'll tell you, uh, your interview was fantastic. And MMA, I'll tell you, it's, it's 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 incredible. I mean, a lot of the boxing people don't like it, but, but the public likes it, and that's what matters. And have you ever been to a fight? Because Vida Maliki, who's the upcoming boxer from New Jersey, is fighting on Christmas night, of all things. I'm not making this up. At the Prudential Center in Newark, he's fighting on a car that's going to start around 7 o'clock Christmas night. And I tell you, they'd love to have you there.
1: Oh, wow. Well, I mean... My family. I don't know if I'm going to be here or with my family on Christmas. Uh, that's a that's a tough uh, well, one. So you won't be in New Jersey. No, I'll be in, uh, I'll be in Jersey, but that, that's tough. Christmas night is tough. I uh, yeah, I know. I can't believe it, but I guess they're taking like uh, a lot of people. I think go to the movies
14: like yeah. after six o'clock. Yeah. So they're having a boxing show starting at seven o'clock on Christmas night.
10: Huh.
14: But uh, how was your experience uh, in Indianapolis? Because I actually got lucky enough to cover the AFC Championship game in the Jets were there. I actually took a bus because in our parking lot, the bus lets you out right in the parking lot, and it was it was fantastic. So, did you really enjoy the stadium?
1: Oh man, I loved it. And by, wait, by the way, this this is my first UFC live for a fight. But oh my god, absolutely loved Lucas Oil Stadium. I, and I, I'm standing out there in the line, just like kind of like looking at it, and I saw it from my hotel room too. And I'm like, why can't? Why didn't? the New York Giants and New York Jets built something that resembles this. I mean, the retractable roof, it was closed. It was like 28 degrees outside. No, it wasn't like it was 28 degrees outside. So I'm, I was grateful that there was a roof on it. Just think about the potential. I, we were ta- I was talking to the guy in line behind me, and I was like, the potential that New York missed out on with not having a roof that even retractable based on the cost of that stadium is, is just, it's just bad. I mean... You can have concerts year-round. You can have more Super Bowls. I mean, those are huge, huge economy boosters, those events like that, especially when you can't you, – it sits dormant during the wintertime. So uh, Lucas Oil Stadium, built in 2008, believe it or not, looked brand new. It was beautiful. And I did do something else while I was there too, uh, sports-related. And I was only there for like 17 hours total on the ground. That includes like sleeping time too, which is only like four hours. But um, hey – Live while I'm alive and sleep when I'm dead. Right, Bon Jovi? Anyway, I'll fill you in with what I did other than go to the Jets, Indianapolis Colts, uh, atrocity game. (laughs) Jets didn't even show up, but I'll I'll tell you what I did. Uh, Sports.
13: The fan is on your smart speaker. To listen to the home of New York sports, just say, Hey, Google, play WFN. Let's get down, let's get down to business.
1: Welcome to Danny Alexander time here on the fan in New York City. We got some Tiesto for you. Let's get down, let's get down to business. Oh yeah, Poliar on the ones and twos. We have Uh, so I went to Indianapolis for the Jet game. I showed up. They didn't clearly their defense more particularly they did not show up. Brutal, brutal performance by the Jets defense down there in Indianapolis. That so brutal that I had the Colts fans sitting around me apologizing. Every time the Colts scored a touchdown, literally, seriously, apologizing. <laughs> I was the only person wearing green in the entire section, 434. And I did uh, something else sports-related in my 17 hours there on the ground in Indianapolis, four of which I spent sleeping. How could you go to Indianapolis without visiting the, interna- the, Inti- the Indianapolis Mortar Speedway? How could you do that? So... From the airport with my suitcase. They were very nice. They, they held the suitcase for me and everything. Uh, at, at the Speedway Museum. I did a little tour. 25 bucks or whatever. Got to go on to Pit Row and everything. The one thing though. They were resurfacing the actual race track. So we really didn't get a chance. Like Typically the, the they drive you around on the track. We didn't get to do that. So, eh. But I just posted some pictures on Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. And on Twitter at Coach McCartan, a couple of picks, the pics that I took from Indianapolis and uh, sat in a real Indy car. This red one that I tweeted and, and posted was uh, from 2009, I believe. And I learned something. Obviously, I'm always trying to learn things. Obviously, you, you kiss the bricks there. I did that too. But the first person to ever do it was Dale Jarrett. Kiss the bricks. And did you know that? When you go into like the, the winner, when you win, the car goes on the lift, and then you go up high and whatever, you, you, whatever. They hand you milk. You could choose whatever kind of milk you want in case you do win whole milk, whatever, whatever kind of milk. And uh, they give it to you, and you're supposed to instead of like cracking open like beers and like Stone Cold Steve Austin, it's milk that they use there, believe it or not. So the tour director, his name was Larry. He said, uh, "Do I have any questions?" I was like, "Yeah, I do." I said, um, "So I don't." drink white milk i actually only drink either strawberry or chocolate milk so um would i be able to request uh, this is a serious question would i be able to request either one of those two and he said you know he said no i said what he said it needs to be white for the photos that they take what come on i'm gonna keep my mouth closed then when i win a race there i'm just gonna pour it over my head but close my mouth close my mouth (laughs) and some of you guys are like what you don't even drink the milk from the cereal no not not that either Chocolate milk or strawberry milk. And I want them like brown, 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 or like almost red, pink. That's how I have to have it. All right. I'm a child. I know. I get it. I'm a child. 877 There is your race history. Oh, and by the way, at, um, Lucas Oil Stadium, I-, I went to send this to my friend. Her dad races funny cars, and uh, they have a funny car cafe. They're all about the race. Apparently, too, my friends down there were telling me that in May when they have the Indy five hundred, people decorate their lawns and everything with like their for their favorite driver. It's a whole big thing. They want me to come back in May. I don't know. They said it's usually Memorial Day weekend. They want me to come back. Uh maybe. Maybe. We'll see. It does sound fun though. All right, to Westchester we go. Andrew, you're on the fan. Andrew. Hey Danielle, oh, hey. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, gotcha.
15: Uh, great, great. Thanks for taking the call. I just wanted to mention real quick two, two quick things. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, say thank you for mentioning the UFC. Uh, I love the uh, the interview with Misha Tate. Oh, She's you. a beast. Yeah, she um, is. I listen to the fan all the time. Uh, and, and honestly, you're the only one that gives UFC, like... Uh, the daylight i'd never heard anyone else mention ufc so so i appreciate you bringing them up yeah. i was a former wrestler so i know the grind you know and the andrew
1: yeah is- i'm not i'm not uh, i'm not like a you know 100 on the ufc but there is a huge event and it happens to be here in new york tonight and i happen to be going for oh, you know what i mean so I, I can't get too technical on ufc but i'm going to the event misha tate's a friend of mine and you know what why not why not bring it up?
15: No, of course. No, of course. It's MSG. It's, it's a big. Uh, it's a big fight card tonight. So yeah. I appreciate you bringing it up, of mentioning it. And then the second thing I wanted to bring up was just uh, just the fact that the UFC fighters are are the toughest out there. Don't get me wrong. I love football. Football is very tough, but I think UFC fighters are so undervalued. They are the toughest SOBs out there. So enjoy the fight. Thanks. Say hi to Joe Rogan and have a good one. All right.
1: Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate that. Um, and you look at, and now I follow Misha Tate on Twitter, and this this came, I told you, this came about because of the podcast I was doing, and interviewed her, and she loved me, and I loved her, and it was great, so we hit it off right away, but um, now I follow her on Twitter, and she posts, this is Misha Tate, she posts all, like, the workout videos and stuff, I mean, they are tough, tough, in the interview, oh, she just, did you hear, her? she casually dropped that she broke the occipital bone in her eye and kept fighting, I mean, come on, come on, I don't want to minimize anybody else's injuries, but she said she was seeing two of the of the other fighter coming at her with a broken occipital bone. I don't like eyes, and just that makes me think that her eyeball was going to pop out, and, and spoiler alert, there's video coming for that interview. You should see my face when she said that. Uh, I think uh, Lou DPH was going to be putting up uh, the video of, of me, Pete Hoffman, and Misha Tate uh, on all of our social media channels. I'm not sure when, but it'll be up, I promise you. You can keep an eye on for that. David in Bayside, you're up next on The Fan.
16: Hey Danielle, how are you? I'm tonight? good. How are you, David? Danielle, great show. Wish you had more airtime. Oh, Always you. enjoy when you're on on the weekend. Yeah, so it was a nice surprise getting in the car tonight. Hey,
1: you, thanks.
16: You. Yeah, really enjoy it. Listen, gotta concur with the previous caller, UFC. It is nice to finally hear someone on the fan talking UFC. Okay, because yeah, I mean, the a lead up bit. to this call, you know, yeah, yeah. It, you know, and you're gonna have a blast tonight. I would say two years ago, a Maxvill for Diaz for the BMF title. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be so exciting. Get there early. The prelims, the main event, the first fight of the main event, or the main card tonight, Gaethje and Chandler is going to be great. I'm going to the first fight. I'm just gonna try. Yeah, I, I'm going to try. I'm um,
1: working. I'm here till nine, so I'll try my best to get there in time.
16: Yeah, don't miss that one. That that has potential to be the fight of the night. Oh, Not really? one can end early. Okay. Those two guys are just stone cold killers. That's going to be a great fight. Um, you interview it, you know, Misha. Yeah, really good interview. Nice to hear somebody from the UFC on. Uh,
10: Thanks.
16: Um, I give her all the props in the world. I don't know if you've ever seen the fight with her and Holly Holm. I have. I've watched
1: it back. Now that I'm friends with her, I did watch that back. Yes. Yeah. So you know,
16: going into the fifth, she needed a total stoppage. She was down on all the cards going into the fifth round. Um, She dragged her down, took her back, got the rear naked choke. Holly Holm, tough as nails, went out. Never tapped out. You could see her arms just flailing as she went out. Yep. You know, it was great to see Misha win a title. I mean, it was great. Mm -hmm. But the only thing I have to say to that is good luck in the comeback. But there's no reason to believe that if she fought Amanda Nunes again it would be any different. It well, would end the same way, unfortunately for her. I don't I and mean Nunes- Amanda
1: Nunes is a beast, obviously. I I do know yeah. that. But I mean, listening to her and watching her and now I mean she said she was it's the the technique now. She she's cerebral about it. Now she's not just relying on just the physicality <laughs> of it, you know. She's she's understanding what's happening in front of her in the ring and in the octagon, I should say. And I don't know, I I, 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 I believe her. I do. And, and maybe that's just my little I agree bias with here. All of that.
16: But But the first time Nunes touches her, it'll be over. It it just says what it is. But here's the thing, real quickly. And again, I love Misha Tate. She's a pioneer. She's been around Mm -hmm. the strike force days. Listen, even if she dropped down to 25, Srivchenko was still the best. Mm -hmm. But here's the fight for her. And I can't believe nobody's talking about this. And I know Dana White's got to be thinking about this because she's a promoter. Mm -hmm. The one fight for Misha, and it's out there open up the vault get ronda rousey back
1: yeah imagine
16: you get rousey and tate in there again that's a headline fight on any card the ufc promotes that's pay-per-view
1: absolutely you get those
16: yeah you get those two in there that's going to set pay-per-view records there's no doubt about it the lead up to that fight will be unbelievable The return of rousey those two fighting for the third time that's the fight to make for those two Um, i wish her luck but that's the fight.
1: Yeah, David, I'm actually going to text her right now and tell her you suggested that. So from your your oh, mouth to Dana White's ears, hopefully. We'll see.
16: Believe me, Dana White's a businessman. I can tell you, I guarantee you, he's thought of that. You get me, Tate. Let her build a little momentum. Yes. So fight was good. All, All right. right, Rousseau, you know, listen, they gave her that fight. She was at the end of her career. She needs to fight somebody a little bit younger, a little bit hungrier.
10: Mm-hmm. And if
16: she can prove herself against a top-five opponent... We'll get her in there again with Pennington or Pena. Mm-hmm. You get her, and she wins one of those fights. Either she goes towards Nunez, which again I don't like. Open up that vault. Get Ronda Rousey back in there. That fight right will we'll get the attention of the world.
1: I will tell her right now that you said that, David. Thank you, Danielle. Love the show. Take Thanks. Care. Thanks. And, and by the way, Viera, Ketlin Vieira, who she's fighting on the twentieth from the um, the uh, Apex Center in Vegas, is she's just outside the top five, so. She's working her way up there she understands that she, she you know we talked about this over, over dinner she understands that she's got to work her way back um, but for me I just I don't know I, when when an athlete tells you that they're they're using their mind and all of that to me um to me that's that's dangerous that's lethal when they're using combining their mind with their physicality and and it's something that she had not not yet done in her career 35 years old she says she's better than ever. Uh, I don't know but I'll complete this text message to her right now tell her telling her that uh that that you wanted her and and Ronda Rousey to come back and do a fight if so it, she answers sometimes right away and then sometimes not right away so uh maybe sometimes the next day but if she answers during the show i I'll, I'll let you know what she says and uh coming up next we're gonna have uh let's see coming up next let's see let's see let's see we got okay yes that's true it's uh yeah so Adam Hill He's the Raider reporter for the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Great friend of the show, again, out there in Vegas. Adam Hill joins us on The Fan coming up next.
13: The Fan is your station. We want to hear from you. Call The Fan at 877-337-6666. Powered by Superbook. Better odds and favorable prices.
1: Welcome back to Danielle at dinner time potentially, McCartan before midnight here on The Fan in New York City. And on the hotline, you guys, you know that I always love to get the opposite team's uh, point of view perspective on, on, on the games that, that I can do that for. And on the hotline right now, Raiders reporter for the Las Vegas Review-Journal, great friend of the show, Adam Hill, joins us now on The Fan. Adam, thanks for coming on and welcome.
17: Yeah, no problem. Uh, I don't know what we could possibly talk about. It's been a pretty slow week in Raiders land.
1: Oh, yeah, Giants land, too. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we'll start exactly right there, Adam. This team, this Raiders team, has dealt with a lot of turmoil this season, Gruden and now with Ruggs. How could you characterize the mood inside that building? Because I know you're there inside of it with them.
17: It's it's tough to do. I mean, especially in this era um, where, you know, locker rooms are closed and we're not able to kind of get – You know the perspective from being in the locker room which i I think that's when you really pick up the mood and uh, how players are feeling um and i'll tell you this like after the gruden situation um a lot of players did want to come out and speak a lot of players did kind of volunteer to go to the podium and, and talk to the press that didn't happen this week it was one guy Derek carr that's the only person that talked and i was told by several people in the organization Uh, that many players have went and said, I am not talking. I do not want to talk. I don't want to go out there. And I totally get it. It's Mm -hmm. it's like, there's nothing you could possibly say. Um, Mm -hmm. If you say anything, even remotely supportive as as Derek Carr, you know, spent 90% of his time um, just really, you know, dedicating it to the victim and how it made him feel and how he just, his heart goes out to uh, the family and the victim and everybody else. And then, made one comment that said but you know Henry Ruggs is my brother and if he he like he needs love now more than ever I saw that one and if nobody else you know if nobody else is going to be there for him then I will and then he gets criticized for that and you're like well 90% of what he said was exactly the right thing and exactly what you want to hear so i think the guys are in a really bad position um, to come out and, and to try to talk and to try to you know say what they're feeling. and I don't know if they know how they're feeling. That was one of these other things Derek Carr said. He said, "I don't know how I'm feeling, I don't know how to process this. I've never been through this and nobody has.
10: Mm.
17: Um, so it's just really it's really difficult. but uh, the last thing I'll say on it is I, I looked back at my lead before the Broncos game two weeks ago, and it was, you know the advance of the game story was, you know, after the most tumultuous week in franchise history, the Raiders will take the field and, and try to escape everything that's going on off the field. Now, two weeks later, yeah. it's by far the most tumultuous week in franchise history. And that's only, you know, in two weeks, you went from the craziest week that the franchise ever had to topping it infinitely.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. You're right about that. Um, there was something else Derek Carr said. He said, I don't know how to handle it, but I'm doing my best. And, and I guess from a football perspective, now that we've kind of addressed this right off the bat here, what does the product look like on the field during the media availability portions?
17: Um, it's... It seemed the same. And and then I saw like, you know, some criticism of that too, right? Where, you know, we took the field and, and, you know, you don't get to be out there for very long, but one of the traditions that they have, and I I don't think it's unique. I think a lot of teams do this is you have a playlist on the field um, that kind of relates to the the opponent. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was like, you know, Jay-Z Empire State of Mind was playing when we first took the field on Wednesday, the first practice. Uh And people are looking around like, oh, it's just business as usual. And then, you know, obviously people criticize that. Yeah. And and again, I get it. Like, I I think people want you to go out there and just be somber 24 hours a day. And, and I, I think they are. But at the same time, like, as Rich Passaccia has said repeatedly this week, he said, we are feeling this. We are crushed by this. We are devastated by this. But the Giants don't care. Like, we have to go to the field on Sunday and play a game. And so... You know, again, and then that was criticized, too. So, I, again, I, I feel like it's just a terrible—obviously, it's terrible. The whole thing is awful and, and despicable and gross and, and everything else. You just feel so much for that family. But, you know, like like they said, the Giants, the Giants don't care. They're, they're going to go try to beat them up on Sunday, and so you have to be prepared for that. You don't want to get—you don't want to compound your feelings by also getting your butt kicked.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, there was one Giant that sort of kind of cared enough to tweet about it was Kadarius Tony? and here's the tweet. He said, We young— Everybody make mistakes. I'm reading this verbatim. Y'all looking at the situation like this or that because it ain't y'all having so much to say. He know he messed up. Don't drag him for it. That's goofy to me. Just play for pray for the families involved, and then like a little prayer emoji hands and like a little hundred. Yeah. Um, that wasn't well received. No. You
10: know? Yeah.
17: Nothing is nothing is going to be. I mean, again, I I totally understood where Kadarius Tony was coming from in saying that. Like nobody is is. You know, as crazy as this sounds, nobody feels worse right now than Henry Ruggs. I mean, you you have to understand that it's a he created this, he caused this and he should and will, you know, be in jail for a long, long time. And his career is over. And and his, you know, think about it also impacts his family, right? You know, people talk about the family of the victim and that's obvious. It is. Every single day, you know, I lost—I lost a brother in a car accident. I know what it's like every single day mm-hmm. to wake up and be devastated that he's gone. But Henry Ruggs' family is going to feel the same way um, every day that they—they they have to deal with the fact that he took a life and that he's going to pay the ultimate price, and that you know they went from you know having a, a much better life because of his talents to you know now having to visit him in jail. Um, everybody is, is greatly impacted by this. And I think what Kadarius Tony is trying to say is you're piling on, like, you know, he feels bad enough, but, but I think it, it, it's fair to criticize him as well. Like, I don't think people should not be critical of what Henry Ruggs did because it's gross. Um, but you also realize like a lot of people have made the same mistake. It just didn't result in the same consequence.
1: Yeah. I'm sorry to hear about your brother. I didn't know that. Yeah, um, well, Hi-
17: it, I mean, it is. It, you know, then it, it is like a lot of people have dealt with this. That's that's what I think the 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 sad reality of of this is that this it's something that happens all the time, and it, it needs to stop. And people need to, you know, people need to to talk about it and speak about it, and and realize that we need to get better. And I think we've gotten better as a society about this issue, but yeah. it, you know, there's too many options out there for us to right. have this happen
10: every day.
1: Exactly. That's what I said in the open too. It's not worth it. Um, Adam Hill, Raiders reporter for the Las Vegas Review-Journal Review is with us on the fan. Okay, so um, on the field, let's talk about football now. How is the guy that's going to be replacing him? Is he, is he any good?
17: Well, it's Zay Jones is going to be the guy that, you know, takes the majority of snaps at that spot. Um, Zay Jones is a guy that, you know, second-round pick of the Bills was somewhat disappointing, I think. Uh, in terms of where they drafted him and his production, uh, but from day one that he's been with the Raiders, they have raved about how much they love him. Derek Carr is obsessed with Zay Jones. I don't think there's a day that goes by that he does a press availability and doesn't talk about Zay Jones. And that's a guy that was a backup. Yeah. Uh, so now Zay gets you know vaulted into the starting lineup. I think where it really hurts is depth wise. Well, certainly the speed factor um, of Henry Ruggs being out and Zay Jones being in. But Zay Jones is a you know he's a very quality player. I just think. You know, you don't have now. You don't have Zay Jones as that fourth guy. You've got him as the first guy, and now like who steps in and who fills in around him. They called up Dylan Stoner from the practice squad. Um, he's you know he's an effort guy. He tries, uh, but I don't know how, how how effective he can be right now. Uh, Marcel laban has been around for a couple of years. He got called up from the practice squad as well. Um, but you know, the other thing that's not really talked about because it, it's not important, but you know Willie Sneed was on this team two weeks ago. And he didn't see an opportunity to get more, more snaps, so he asked for his release. He's gone. He would be a guy that was vaulted up into a much more prominent role right now. Right. And now I think he's on the Carolina practice squad.
1: Good point there. You know, and I, are there any talks about Odell Beckham Jr.? What would happen if he became a Raider? There's clearly a need.
17: Is there, is there talk about it? I could tweet right now. Uh, that I'm coming on your show, and your first response will be, "Are they going to sign Odell Beckham?" <laughs> that's <laughs> that, that's what that's what life is like right now, uh, covering the Raiders. They're obsessed with o- Odell Beckham. Um, I, I don't I don't know how they view it. I will say this, especially with and and the, the, uh, the problems are different. I'm not comparing their problems, so people get that you know get that straight right now. But what is going on with not only Henry Ruggs, but also Damon Arnett now, and that video that surfaced um and the fact that they're still dealing with the residual fallout of John Bruden I don't think they need another distraction in the building and there, it's clear as much as Odell Beckham is talented he's another distraction
10: yeah.
17: um I might be able to say the same thing about Deshaun Jackson cuz that's another guy that would make some sense mostly because they need a speed receiver Deshaun Jackson is out there um I don't know we'll, we'll see what they what they what they do um it's it's a it's a crazy crazy time certainly in Raiderland and I think they're going to be very careful about who they bring in
1: Derek Carr has, for the first time in maybe his career, been very consistently good. To what does he credit that?
17: Um, well, it's it's funny because well, he did have one other really good season. Um, you know, the the MVP like season that he had and then got hurt right before the playoffs started. Um, that was a great year that he had. Uh it's it's funny though, because what he is credited to is being in the same system with John Gruden for his fourth season. And, you know, really feeling more comfortable and being an extension of the coaching staff out on the field and never having four years in the same system in his career. Now John Goon is gone, but it's continued. And, and I think it's it's the fact that he has Greg Olson there, the fact that, um, you know, he's got a system that he knows that he can call the plays before he even hears them. Um, but he's very he's just very comfortable out on the field. And I think he's comfortable with himself, uh, which has maybe not always been the case, even if he said he has been. Uh, I think he's just a lot more... Um, at this point in his career. He's just like, hey, I'm the guy. I'm just going to go do it. And he's got a lot of confidence in himself and his system, and he just goes and plays.
1: The, here in New York, we really don't appreciate the dominance of Max Crosby. He was just named one of the three highest-graded defenders under 25 this season, along with Nick Bosa and Josh Allen. Can you fill us all in about the nightmare that Daniel Jones will be facing tomorrow with Max Crosby?
17: Yeah, I mean, well, it's not just Crosby, right? It's the fact that they have and Ngakwe on the other side, who's also been great, and I feel like doesn't I think in doesn't get enough credit for how good Max Crosby has been because all the attention for the most part seems to go to Yannick Ngakwe. and then Crosby kind of has one-on-one on the other side and just it just you know operates over there uh, on his own and, and beats tackles now uh, the, the Giants isn't going to be much different but I will say um if you if you listen and pay attention to the PFF guys a lot of guys that do the, the grading and um all, all of those things they they were obsessed with the fact that Max Crosby had a run of five straight weeks against five of the worst right tackles in the history of football and really took advantage of those matchups. Now, I don't think the Giants are going to present much different. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Giants offensive line has certainly struggled at times on the outside, so right. uh, we'll see how, how that goes. But, yeah, I think the attention that Ngakwe gets on one – and Ngakwe last game uh, was fantastic, and I think that was part of – you know, offensive line starting to focus a little bit more on Max Crosby. And now Ngakwe gets some one on ones and he can go, uh, you know, feast on quarterbacks. So they, they really work together well. They're very close friends. And uh, it's really worked uh, in terms of pass passwords that they have not had for three years.
1: Adam Hill from Lotus Broadcasting joins us here on The Fan to give us the Raiders' perspective. Um, versus Giants, obviously, what aspect of the Giants game are the Raiders most concerned about?
17: It's uh, a good question. I mean, I, I know that they were talking a little bit about the fact that you just don't know who's going to be playing all the time with the Giants. Yeah, Uh, The the fact that, you know, while the Giants have had to deal with, you know, every single week trying to figure out who their wide receivers are going to be, other teams have to deal with that too. Like, you're preparing for a team that you don't know who you're going to have to be covering. And Rich Versace said on Friday, he was like, "Uh, I guess we're just going to have to just (laughs) figure out who's on the field and cover whoever's out there. I I don't know. Um, But obviously their their defense has been, um, you know, It gets lost in the fact that they're not overly successful necessarily, but the the defense has been very good. And I think the Raiders do have some concern that, you know, they'll come out without that deep threat speed receiver on the outside. Um, Are they going to be able to stretch defenses? Are defenses going to be able to come up and play a little closer to the line and eliminate some of the the short passing game that the Raiders have gotten good at? Uh, I think that's definitely part of the concern going into this game.
1: I look at – a lot of times I look at, like, other teams that that teams have faced and and how they – kind of match up with our teams and kind of compare them that way. So I'm looking right now at, at the Ravens and the Raiders, a final and overtime score, Lamar Jackson, mobile quarterback rushed, you know, was the team leader for the Ravens, 86 yards on the ground. And I know this is week one when everything was, you know, all hunky dory there, but um, how or can the, the, uh, the Raiders contain Daniel Jones, who is also a mobile quarterback?
17: Well, isn't Daniel Jones kind of containing himself lately? But I mean, he stopped running, it seems like, a lot like he'd done early in the year. I mean, he's, he's still been effective with it, but um, I think he gets back to that a little bit. I think that would be uh, somewhat effective against him. I mean, Lamar Jackson did what he did, despite uh, Villanueva being out of position and playing one of the worst games I've ever seen an offensive lineman play. Lamar Jackson still had some success, and that was a fluky win. I still look back and say, I'm not sure how the Raiders won that game. Lamar Jackson dropped the ball a couple times, uh, some fumbles there that really weren't, Created by the Raiders defense like that, that was a fluky result, uh, but the Raiders had have had some issues at times containing mobile quarterbacks But they also said hey, we're worried about Daniel Jones running, but we've been prepared for it We've played Lamar Jackson. We have played Jalen Hurts. We've played some of these guys uh, Who run the ball really well and you know, we've gotten used to it a little bit So I think that they're they're prepared for that aspect certainly uh, not having not having Barkley on there on the other side Gives them, you know, one one less weapon to have to worry about in the backfield. But I know the Raiders are very familiar with Devontae Booker. He was with with them last year. Uh, They know what he can do, not only in the running game but also the the short passing game.
1: Knowing what you know about having watched every down of the Raiders this season, how can the Giants win this game?
17: I I pick the Giants. I I think the Giants will win the game. But listen, it's also we talked about at the beginning. I I don't know how the Raiders are going to look. I don't know what's going to happen when they step on that field. If the Raiders are playing at their best, yeah, I think they go in and win the game. I just don't know that that's going to happen. And I know, listen, this is going to be one of those hindsight games mm-hmm. where if the Raiders come out and they're great, we'll say, hey, they, they rallied around this. They rallied around the tragedy. Right. They got away from it for three hours. They didn't have to think about Henry Ruggs, and they weren't were able to just go out and play. Uh, and if they lose, we'll all say, well, they were distracted. You know, how could they expect, be expected to go out and play? So it, it's going to be a hindsight uh thing where you go in and look back and say oh yeah of course that's what happened um but yeah i just i don't see i know the raiders rallied around it against denver and you know the whole gruden situation but i just don't know how they go out on the field and play a football game right now it's it's not a good time right now in, in raider land.
1: what do you have for a final score prediction
17: Oof uh i'm gonna go oh the other thing raiders horrific worst team in the league after a bye and they're coming off a bye oh. uh, three and 13 okay. three and 13 the last 16 years um I'm going to go 21-17 Giants.
1: Okay. I haven't given mine yet, but it, it's it's similar. I can't believe you're going with Giants. That's, that's interesting. I didn't think you were going to oh, say
17: yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Well, I've been known to pick against the Raiders every single week.
1: (laughs) A man of many talents. In addition to covering the Raiders and the Golden Knights for the Las Vegas Review Journal, we are lucky to have Adam Hill because he also covers MMA for it, too. So he joins us live, not from Vegas, but from Madison Square Garden right now. Adam, you're here in New York for the fight. What is the most New York thing you've done so far on this trip?
17: Oh, it was bad. I mean, last night was a uh, last night was a bit of a debacle, just kind of wandering around Manhattan, meeting some (laughs) friends at different bars. Um, I I think maybe standing in Times Square at 3 a.m. last night was pretty, pretty touristy. Um, Very touristy, I would say. That's usually not what I do. Mm -hmm. But I I was just kind of walking through. Uh, I was walking from one bar to another and I was like, "Ah, I might as well take a take a stop and take a picture in Times Square. I hated myself for it, uh, but I did do it.
1: (laughs) Oh, you guys to send it to me. <laughs> i I put it on a uh, put it on Instagram oh, I can,
17: th- uh, all right can grab that yeah, yeah, I'll yeah
1: take a look all right and yeah. final, my final question here, which fight are you most looking forward to tonight
17: oh this is easy. well first of all, Rose Namunis and and Wiley Zhang is gonna be fantastic they're both incredible performers um obviously the Usman fight uh the main event, but there's no question the best fight on this card is Justin Gaethje and michael Chandler. it's gonna be fireworks it's gonna be explosive um I cannot imagine a scenario where this fight is bad. Uh, so I look forward to it. And then, of course, there's going to be an eye poke 10 seconds in, and it won't be good. But I, I can't see how this fight could possibly be boring.
1: Adam, thank you so much. I'll see you in about two hours. I'll text you when I get there.
17: <laughs> there you go. Perfect.
1: <laughs> All right, thanks. I appreciate it. Yep. That's Adam Hill from Lotus Broadcasting and the Las Vegas Review-Journal joining us to give us the Raider perspective on that giant, Week 9 Giants game. Um, and before we hit the break really quickly, some breaking news. Seriously, though, while I was on the phone with Adam – the Mets had officially extended qualifying offers to both Michael Conforto and Noah Syndergaard. It's official. They have until November 17th to decide on what they're doing. So we'll take your calls on that. I'll give you my opinion on that. We'll take your calls on that. Yankees, whatever you want, you guys. Whatever. Whatever you want. I'm here with you till 9 p.m. here on The Fan. The
13: Fan is on your smart speaker. To listen to the home of New York sports, just say, hey, Alexa, play WFAN.
1: Welcome back to McCartan Before Midnight here on The Fan. It's 7.44 p.m. And uh, don't forget, you set your clocks. It's fall behind, right? So fall back, get an extra hour of sleep tonight. I'm going to be at Madison Square Garden for the UFC fight, the UFC 268. And uh, some breaking news, as Adam Hill from the Las Vegas Review-Journal was just on with me, the Mets have officially extended the qualifying offers to both Noah Syndergaard and Michael Conforto. If if you're a fan of my show, you know that I was expecting that to happen. Um, So here we go. I love the website Track. Should they accept it, I guess the question is, or should either of them accept it? I love Track. And it's got Noah Syndergaard's market value pegged $11 million higher than the qualifying offer. That offer, by the way, for both players uh, league-wide, is set at $18.4 million. It's a one-year deal. Um. Syndergaard's market value is $11 million higher, and he said at the end of September, I'm fairly confident that we will reach an agreement and I'll be pitching here next year. Great. So Mets fans get a player for the rea- the the, 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 fa- the fraction of the cost, and Noah Syndergaard, the player, gets to prove himself to the Mets and to the rest of the league after pitching in only two late-season games this past season. And that would potentially make his stock rise for when he actually hits free agency. I expect Noah Syndergaard to accept the qualifying offer, but Conforto, not so much a sure thing. If I were him, I would accept it. His market value after the really bad season that he just had is set at a sixteen a six-year deal at about $19 million a year. Again, the qualifying offer is $18.4 million for one year. If I were him, And if I were advising him, I would say, dude, you're worth so much more than $19 million a year on a long-term deal, long-ish term deal, six years. Get out there one more season in New York, prove to every single person in this league that last season was a fluke, and tank it to the bank next season in free agency. That's what I would do if I were either of the two of them. And the Mets... As a team, it's easy for me to say, you know, because, oh, my market value is $11 million higher than what this offer is, then I'm going to go where the money is. It's easy for me to say that. But Noah Syndergaard at the end of September said he's confident. He knew all of these stipulations moving forward. The Mets, as a team, would again get a player playing under market value in both of them. And if either of the two of them were to reject the qualifying offer the Mets had just extended to them, they will be compensated with draft picks. So it's a win-win, and the Mets offer them the offers and then go from there. So win-win. You get a two players, under market value, theoretically, and if either or both of them don't sign, you get a draft pick for for one or both of them. I think it's a, I think it's a win-win, if you ask me. we go to the phones, 877-337-6666. Uh, Nyack, New York we go. Max, you're on the fan
6: hey how are you doing i'm good how are you listen i disagree with that point but i called about the knicks because i told you i wouldn't call you till thanksgiving
1: <laughs> but?
6: but i'm so excited about the knicks last night winning down by 21 and winning by 15 against the bucks isn't that beautiful
1: i mean and, and, Knicks, and Knicks, I mean, right. positive, in Knicks right? years of the past, they would have folded and that would have been the end of it. And they came back from an insurmountable, what's seemingly an insurmountable deficit. And, and they won the game against the Bucs. And listen, I know the Bucs are missing, you know, some some players there, but that's a good win for the Knicks. It really is.
6: Daniel, that is the last time I called you, I said, I'll call you on Thanksgiving. We're going to be OK. And you were like, I hope you called me before that. And so here I am. Here you are. Still riding high. I I was so excited about the game. And I am really pumped up about the Knicks this year. But I said, I'm going to call Daniel. I'll hold on for 30 minutes. Because I want you to know (laughs) that Max from Nyack loves the Knicks. We got a lot of Knicks fans out here. And, you know, I know the Nets are always the, the talk of the talent, Kyrie. But, hey, you know what? Let's give the Knicks a chance this
1: year. Yeah, no. Uh, Max for sure. I am. And you know what the big thing, and I said it, I think last time to you too, the return of Mitchell Robinson as a threat down low is um he was out last year with injury for a lot of the year. And having him back, I think really takes a lot of pressure off Julius Randle, who when Julius Randle, you know, is the team, he doesn't do so well. And you saw it in the in the postseason last year. So hey, listen, looking at the Eastern Conference standings right now Tied for fourth place, guess who? The Knicks and Nets, both at six and three. This is going to be, whereas football on Sundays doesn't give anybody any hope, basketball two, three, four times a week will here in this town anyway. If you're a Knicks or a Nets fan, it's exciting. I had someone ask me on Twitter, um, what did I eat while I was at Lucas Oil Stadium? Funny, because I felt, I always try to eat like uh, like typical dishes from, you know, each of the regions of the country here, and I always thought that the Midwest is known for, like, their barbecue. I, I've done barbecue in uh, Kansas City and the other place. I forgot the other place, but I went for barbecue, and I went f- to an awesome place for lunch after the Indianapolis Speedway. I actually walked there, but what I found at Lucas Oil Stadium were pulled pork nachos with tons of cheese on them. Oh, they were so good. I brought them back up to my section, and everybody around there Colts fans that go to games have season tickets. They were like, where did you find those? Those look so good. <laughs> I was like, oh, see it right over there, the neon sign? I walked all around the stadium, and I found these pulled pork. I came prepared. I knew that's what I wanted. I just had to find them, and they were in the, the funny car cafe with the neon signs. And I pointed. They were like, oh, cool. Thanks. No one went and got them, but I was, I was the envy of the section for uh for, for those uh foods, certainly. And uh I the, the uh, barbecue place that I went to, and I, I'm hungry. We just placed an order for uh, the food downstairs. I'm, I'm hungry now. And uh, I forgot to bring food for dinner. But when I had the barbecue, they came, it was I got pulled chicken for lunch on a sandwich. Oh, so good. And uh, they had different like sauces to try. So what happened was the waitress brought me a bunch of different sauces. I don't like anything spicy. She brought me a plate where I can – she goes, do you want me to bring you a plate? You can squeeze it on there and then pick which one you like and then put it on your sandwich. I was like, oh, yeah, great idea. So I ended up picking one of their – they're all house-made. One of their – I forget what it was called. It was almost like a teriyaki uh, kind of sauce. It was very good, homemade. And um, the chicken, she said, was smoked for 12 hours in the smoker out back. And and I did see it when I walked up. I did see that. And uh, I walked – it was like, I don't know, half a mile, half a mile from the speedway. There. It's like one road, had to make a left. And then it's like a all Midwest towns seem to have like this one road where it's just like a bunch of like one road. A bunch of stores on just one side of the road. I think it's kind of weird. And Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, it was the same exact way. I felt like I was there. <laughs> but uh Yeah, it was it was it was good. It, it was uh the barbecue was great both inside the stadium and outside of it. And maybe, I don't know, maybe that's what you're supposed to have there when you go there. I don't really know but it was great. And so was that stadium. Beautiful. Beautiful. Where is the roof on MetLife Stadium? Oh yeah. Non-existent. Let's go back to the phones. 877-337-6666 to Camden, to Kevin. We go.
18: What's up, coach? What's up, Kevin? I was going to talk about I was going to talk about the Giants, but after what I saw yesterday, I have to comment on it. Tell okay. me. I'm 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 angry because the Yankees they, they lost Four players to waivers. I mean one of them I really don't I mean one of them I really don't care about in the Well okay, let's let me let us break this down. Okay. Greg Allen, I'm not saying he's gonna be a superstar town. Alright, I'm not saying he's gonna be a superstar. Yeah. But listen Aaron Hicks, you don't know what he's gonna be next year. You don't you don't know what you're gonna get out of John Carlos thing he's he played the outfield a little bit this year. Wait, I don't know. I don't feel comfortable for him being a full time outfielder. Yeah. And Aaron Judge with his injury history. I, I think it's a very foolish move letting uh, Greg Allen leave, and then and what? What the Yankees' alternative? Bring back Brett Gardner for the fifteenth millionth time. I know. Yeah, I am so sick of this. It's the same old, same old narrative, and it's, it's just it's not going to change. Cashman and Boone Balloon. I, I am just so sick of them both. That's one, and then you got Andrew Velasquez, who I think we both. We both love it. It was a great story. The local kid, played for the Yankees, hometown kid, whatever. Yeah, but and then you, and then you let him go. And look, I'm not saying he can be starting shortstop. I'm not. I'm not that naive. I know he's not a short starting college shortstop. But he's good depth. I mean, look, Clay Torres, as we know, he's not a shortstop. But I mean, I still would have kept Velasquez for depth. I mean, the Yankees don't have much. What well, I, I heard, I remember one a caller like a lady, last week. Oh, Anthony Volpe. Anthony Volpe's like two or three
1: years away. Well, okay, Kevin, let me stop you right there. So Greg Allen, I am most upset about, like you. Uh, that yeah. should have been an absolute protection from the you know. Yeah, I don't know why you Absolutely. I, I don't get that. Velasquez, uh, I, I wanted him traded at the deadline, and I know that sounds actually crazy, but that was when his value was highest. And now the Yankees just they don't get anything for him. And that's yeah. I don't know. No, no, I, no, you're right. no, I just I'm think of, of Volpe too. I'm trying to get him on the show, but Anthony Volpe I think of him, he's not due until 2023. So the Yankees basically have one season in between when, you know, when he's available and it's next season. So what are they going to do at shortstop? I don't think Velasquez was the answer because they also have uh, a Tyler Wade on, on the roster too. And maybe Ruben Neto door is going to take some ground balls. At I heard that Wade could be, I heard that Wade,
18: and I, I hope I'm wrong, but I heard Wade could be a non-tender candidate. That's why uh, I mean, that's why I, I didn't see I've that. I've heard that on Twitter. I've read that from all over the place, but I, I, I'm just saying that this regime, I mean, I, I'm, I'm like with because, I mean, first of all, this is why Cashmere should be last because this man, I think he, you know, when he, when you know, when he first came on, he had a great touch with the Yankee dynasty, but his time, I think, is way past.
1: Yeah.
18: But the, but this organization, it, it, and I said I said this to you before, and I'll say it again, it's the same old narrative. I am so sick, and you know, it, 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 you know, it's just not going to change. It, it's just maddening. It's just I didn't care about Le Let me be frank. I didn't care about LeCastro. Um... So I don't really, that's not really much of a loss. But I mean, the Yankees' death now really takes a hit because, yeah, you could say Jonathan Davis, but who the heck is Jonathan Davis? I never even heard of the guy until the Yankees got him.
10: Yeah.
18: I mean, it's, it's to the point, coach, I have no idea what to expect. and I'm telling you, if Rizzo doesn't come back, and I hope, we, I, I want Rizzo to come back, but I just, I have a, a feeling this is going to be a very disappointing off season. I just feel it. The way this already started, I just, I don't know. I'm just feeling very, and I'm just, I'm going to call Cashman out. Yeah, Kevin. Listen, Cashman, if you get the look, get out of Cashman because you're going to ruin this team. But this team is already years behind where it should be because of your mismanagement. And you know what, Cashman? I think any man can do a better job than you.
1: Wow, Kevin, some fire words from Kevin and Camden there. And listen, I think that um, you're not far off because l- by letting those three guys go, three guys that were the catalyst for that 13-game winning streak for the New York Yankees have now found homes on different teams, and it's just. The mentality that's extremely frustrating, and I get it, and I understand. I hope Brian Cashman has some corresponding moves, I guess you can call them, up his sleeve uh, to transform the philosophy of this team, which we've talked about almost every single show that I've done so far, dating back to last offseason.
13: The fan is on your smart speaker. To listen to the home of New York sports, just say play WFAN.
1: I don't know what does. Welcome back to Danielle in Drive Time. Danielle at Dinner Time. McCartan before midnight here on The Fan in New York City. At 9 p.m., I'm going to be boogieing over to Madison Square Garden for UFC 268. My first fight ever, live in person. I'm very excited. Very excited to, to, you know, I'm not the guru of UFC fighting. Let's be honest there. But. Um, I've actually never tried it. But my New Year's resolution, you know, is to try something new every month. And what I'm going to do this month is, well, I guess two things. One, go to my first fight. And two, I'm going to try my first um, experience. Well, let me say something. I like to... Do the things I like to, like, how do I say this? I feel like I'm not qualified to speak on it without having done it myself. You know what I'm saying? So my other new thing for the month of November is I'm going to get a lesson in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is one of the disciplines that you can use to get to the UFC, to get to the highest level. (coughs) Excuse me. I'm going to get a lesson from Mike Varley at Black Hole Jiu Jitsu in Mayopac. That'll be uh, this upcoming week. So Misha Tate told me that I need to bring three hair ties. I will, and to wear two pairs of spandex or shorts over spandex. I will. I'm going to be ready for it because then I feel like I'm more qualified, I guess, to speak on UFC. And I told her that uh, I'm going to be doing it. She was like, "Wow, what made you decide that?" I said, "You." You did. You inspired me. So I'll, uh, I'll post some videos up from that. You guys you get a nice laugh. I'm coming for the belt. That's it. I, that's what it is. I'm, I'm coming for the belt. And also in my travels over the past couple of days, I, I went to Indianapolis and I saw the Jets disaster on national TV. The good news is that the Jets won't be on national TV for the rest of the season. That's the good news. And, you know, I know the Jets had a couple – questions coming into that game and is Mike White the guy, you know, I mean, that decision is going to have to wait a little bit longer because he exited the game with a wrist injury early on. What happened was when he threw the touchdown pass, as Robert Sala explained it, he got hit just at the right spot on his hand. It caused him to lose feeling in the ring finger and then the middle finger on his throwing hand. So, and he didn't regain feeling until the fourth quarter and and Robert Sala, I'm paraphrasing, basically said that the game was was over by then. No need to bring him back in there. But he did say that White looks good for next week as the practices leading up to the Bills game. And Mike White, though, before he got hurt, was 7 for 11 with 95 passing yards and a touchdown. He averaged 8.6 yards per pass, finished with almost a 91 quarterback rating. So that's, like, really good. And then, oh, Robert Sala said that Zach Wilson, and this is a quote, is also trending in that direction for a return to practice, end quote, you know, this upcoming week. So who should it be in the Bills game? Should it be Mike White or should it be Zach Wilson in that Bills game on the 14th? I'll be there. Who's going to be the quarterback? I don't care how well Mike White plays. If Zach Wilson is 100%, and I'm not talking 99%, 99 99.5%, If Zach Wilson is 100%, then you start Zach Wilson. And don't lose track, Jets fans, of of the motto of this season. The motto of this season was to watch your rookie quarterback develop. And he's had time to watch from the sidelines nursing this knee injury. There's only so much you can watch and absorb before you actually go in there and do it yourself. Zach Wilson has watched. If his knee is 100%, he better be in there. Now, this season is not about, I hate to say this, it's not about winning games for the Jets. Winning was going to be a byproduct for this team at the development as the development of the quarterback continued, if that makes sense. and Maybe you're yelling at your radio right now, and I want to hear from you, 877-337-6666. But if you're yelling at your radio saying, well, you play to win the game, you do. But you also have a quarterback that was drafted very high up in the draft, might I add. And you have to look to the long-term as well with him, someone like him. He's, to me, he's watched enough, and as long as he's 100%, get him out there. Let him work through some adversity. That's just my opinion, And, and, and I don't know. And the defense, the Jets' defense, Awful. I mean, just awful. Oh, It allowed over 500 yards for the second time in three games. That's just inexcusable. I don't care if you have Tom Brady under center for the New York Jets. Maybe that's the sword nerve. Maybe, maybe Joe Montana. You could have Joe Montana under center for the New York Jets in his prime. He's not going to win many games when you give up 45 points a game defensively. just doesn't happen. And that score was completely deceiving. You Maybe you went to sleep at halftime because the game was essentially over at halftime, 28-10. That's when I went on my quest to find the nachos. And uh, you might turn the game off, and then you woke up on Friday morning, and you're like, oh, wait, 45-30, that's a two-possession game. At least they kept it sort of kind of close. Actually, they didn't. I mean, the the Colts' defense was basically, you know, running out the clock and giving them what they wanted, everything underneath, they barely were playing anymore. And then when Josh Johnson threw the the, the interception, I, I actually had snuck down to kind of right behind where the Jets are seated on the bench there, and I kind of snuck down there. No resistance at all at Lucas Oil Stadium, none. And I and I joined all the the, the rest of the the Jets crowd there. And Josh Johnson, after he threw that interception, kind of acted like a I don't know, like a little baby to me. And he, he was like screaming, he's like ah, and he came off the field, and everyone was kind of just like looking around, like. Yeah, all right. We get it. You're frustrated. We get it. But, I mean, that defensive unit should be ashamed of itself. Gave up exactly 532 yards on 28 first downs. I mean, forget asking if that defensive unit for the Jets even got off the plane. How are they even allowed to get back on it? That is my question. Horrible. I mean, I got to Indianapolis International Airport at 4.30 a.m. on Friday morning, and there were no Jets there. So, I can confirm that all of them were able to board and allowed to board the flight home, but man, oh man, they made Jonathan Taylor look like Barry Sanders out there. He accounted for 172 of the Colts' 260 rushing yards. Oh, and tacked on two touchdowns for good measure. And guess what? In that third quarter, when Taylor broke off that uh, 78-yard touchdown run, which is on the sideline, basically right in front of me, like right below me, not the opposite side, He's run down the sideline. I put my head in my hands. I didn't even watch him cross the goal line. And believe it or not, all the Colts fans sitting around me were actually apologizing. They were apologizing. I mean, the guy next to me on the right, the guy next to me on the left, the bros behind me. I mean, they really were. It was no joke. It was the strangest thing that I've ever encountered from other fans at a game ever. But I guess it gets, uh, it, it, uh, it beats getting beer dumped on me. So I'll take it. And, uh... I don't know. Just, just that defense was just so, so bad, and they lost. Of course, Marcus May for the season, and you saw it right away. When there is a non-contact injury like that, he just kind of just went down and looked behind him to see if anybody had like pushed him or whatever. That's when you knew. That's when you knew. So, whether he was going to be traded or, unfortunately, this had to happen, Marcus May um, might have played his last couple snaps in a Jets uniform moving forward. We'll have to wait and see. Happens with that, but um, just another thing, another question. Robert Sala. He early on in the game, and it was 42 to sixteen. He elects to go for. Of course, the Jets were losing. He elects to go for a two-point conversion. Fine, that's great. You're down by a lot. It's like Madden. Like, just try it. Who cares? So they didn't. It failed. The conversion attempt failed. Fine, whatever. I like the call. Fine, but on the next touchdown. I turned to the guy sitting next to me when I saw Matt Amendola running out there. And I was like, wait, why go for it last time and then kick it off now? Like, that doesn't make any sense. He shrugged his shoulders. He was like, I don't know. And it wasn't a mistake because the next touchdown after that, they ran Amendola out there again. I don't know. And I don't know if Salah was asked about that because I I walked back to the hotel room, which – I asked at the front desk, I was like, hey, is there any chance you can give me a Lucas Oil stadium view? And she went, D-d-d-d-d. she thought, uh, okay, yeah, I think this one does, room 736. Oh, well, okay. Penthouse suite, I'm there. No, it's just a regular room, but it did have a view. And it was an awesome view of a beautiful stadium. So I guess the good news for Jets fans is this, that there are no more national games on the schedule. So they can't be embarrassed on national TV again. So, I said this before, Italian-speaking Jets fans would say, Menomale, English-speaking Jets fans would say, good. As I turn my attention here to the Islander game, there are just about 17 minutes remaining in the second period. They're up 1-0 over the Winnipeg Jets, speaking of. These Jets are even losing, too. Take more recalls coming up on the fan be part of
13: the show call the fan at 877-337-6666 powered by superbook better odds and favorable prices
1: welcome back to danielle in the daytime here on the fan in new york city Paul just asked me, do I know what song this is from, what movie this is from? No, oh, I can't place it. What is it? Tell me. I'm not a big movie buff. You can't give me a, this is like Craig and Evan. You can't give me a trivia question and not know the answer to it. I, I was laughing out loud the other day when Craig did that to Evan. He gave him a trivia question. I forgot what it was. And then Evan, ultimately, it came out that, that, that Craig didn't know the answer to it. Like, what? This is what you just did to me exactly. He's he's laughing now behind the computer. You can't find it either. Maybe the colors will help us out. Oh I, now I got it. What is it? Disturbing behavior. Cause I've seen that movie. Great movie from ninety eight. Katie Holmes was in it. Oh. Uh, that was David like a, Marsden. That was at their pinnacle, the both of them. Bruce Greenwood, like some who's who of actors oh, was yeah. in that movie.
15: Seriously. Disturbing behavior. Great movie. Great ninety <laughs> late nineties flick.
1: Sounds like that's a, a song that came out of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater.
15: I can I can
7: I, yeah sure I can get into that yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, while I was sitting in major traffic on the way in, everybody, I'm sitting in the took like the Lincoln Tunnel for the first time. I'm sitting there, what, and the the billboard comes up, and it has a countdown to the Jets Colts game. I'm like what? And then the next fl- screen flashes it says New York Jets. Thursday, 8 p.m., New York Jets plus 10.5, Indy minus 10.5, Caesars Sportsbook. Well, what I know now, I would bet every single dollar I have to my name on the Colts to win that game. What a poorly placed ad. Maybe not poorly placed, but take it away. It's Saturday, two days later. That's my thoughts while sitting in traffic, panicking if I was going to get here on time tonight. I made it with four minutes to spare. I can't believe I made it. Let's just put it that way. And by the way, the parking meter app would not let me re up. So I hope in those seven minutes that ex- from when it expired until seven PM that no one came by with a t- – put a ticket on the car. Wait, you wait and see. There's gonna be a ticket. Guaranteed. Let's go back to the phones. Eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. Able in the Bronx. You're up first on, on in oh, this uh i
2: well, bro. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm okay. I'm working right now. I drive a cab for a living as, as
1: we speak. All right. Where are you exactly?
2: Right now, I'm going across the Madison Avenue Bridge into the Bronx.
1: All right. All right.
2: I'm going to drop somebody off. One of my customers in Arthur Avenue is in the Bronx oh. over there. Yep. In Little Italy.
1: I'm going this weekend to Arthur Avenue.
2: Oh, yeah. What restaurant?
1: Oh, I never. I think Antonio's. I think my my cousin's taking us. I think it's Antonio's.
2: You should check out Rigoletto's. That's the best one there.
1: Rigoletto's. All right, I'll, I'll open up a new tab. Rigoletto. Got it.
2: That's a good restaurant. Everybody there is friendly, you know. Right. a beautiful restaurant. All right, well, and thank you. I want you to badmouth the Yankee manager. Not Boone, you know. The general
1: manager. That, Cashman. I think he's
2: been here one too many decades.
1: Decades?
2: I mean, not decades. You know, he's been here already, what, 20 years?
1: Mm -hmm, Yeah, long time.
2: And what does he got to show for it? One
1: World Series, exactly.
2: He he didn't put that one together. That one came out of the, what do you call it?
1: Yeah, the Gene Stick Michael era. Yeah. That's right,
2: out of Gene Michaels Mm -hmm. and Bob Watson, right? Yep. Yep. So and and on top of that, the players they got back then was CC, that other pitcher what was his Burnett, AJ Burnett, AJ Burnett in the first baseman,
1: Mark Teixeira, Mark
2: Teixeira, yep. Those three players put them over the top that year, right? Right.
1: All via free agency, by the way.
2: Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, and that had to do with oh, with big, with George Steinberg.
10: Yeah,
2: because I don't even. I'm pretty sure Cashman had nothing to do with that one either.
1: Yeah, and Abel, you're making a good point here. You're making a great point that in the in those years, Cashman was able to spend money. In the past couple years, he has not been able to spend money, and that's part of the problem. Now. Let's see, when once this, this whole financial situation comes out, once the CBA has been agreed upon, you know, blah, 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 once it's been passed, let's see what the financial situation will be. And let's see if Hal Steinbrenner's looking to the other coast, the West Coast, and seeing what the Dodgers did. I know they didn't get, you know, to the, to the promised land, the Dodgers. I do know that. But, I mean, the Yankees got to start taking a page out of their book combined with a page out of the Braves book, whereas the the philosophy should be, very much different than the one that let's just say that the Yankees have employed right now, and by letting and not protecting guys like Lo Castro, Allen, and Velasquez, I mean, Brian Cashman better have some other moves up his sleeve to try to diversify this roster from the the feast or famine roster that it, that it is because those three guys were the spark that this team needed needed they were they were they were necessary. They were an integral part of that thirteen-game winning streak in in the mid to late, I what was it August? They were they were integral to it, and all three of them are now gone, and you're left with whom exactly to carry the torch? James in Monroe, you're up next on the fan.
8: Good evening, Daniel. How you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. I was listening to your commentary about the Jets. Yeah, and I agree one hundred percent. You know what? The Jets probably have the worst linebackers in football right now, because I'm telling you, they can't they can't stop the runs of save their life. <laughs> and I know that I know the front line has a lot to do with it too. But I'm telling you, their linebackers you see them they hit people, and the runners just keep on going. Yep. They don't even stop.
1: And you you know? know, I hope you're not driving, because you know what? The Jets are playing uh, C.J. Mosley this year. Well, the yeah, deal, yeah the, the deal that they gave him, is it's incredible, actually.
8: I know. And you know what? This, he's, he's such a big disappointment. Yep. I, I don't know what happened to him. He's usually a steady guy, but I, it's like he's invisible. I don't know what this, when you talk about the 500 yards that the Jets have given up in mm-hmm. two of their last three games, mm-hmm. he's nowhere at all to be found. Yeah,
1: I know. And,
8: and you know what? You and I discussed Mims. You know, we yep. were talking about, like, the Jets aren't giving him enough chance. Yep. But I'll tell you, the last couple of games that I've watched him and he's dropped these balls, Yep. I cannot – I that I can't understand.
1: And maybe yeah, – after all, only... yeah. Robert Sala and company were right after all on him, it turns out. Well, you know what? I don't know if it's still that way. I just
8: think – I just think there's a lot of tension between uh, Mims and the coaching staff, and that's why he's like – on a fence, you know, like with all the pressure on him and everything to perform because, you know, he's probably whining that he's not getting enough playing time. And then when they put him in, he does what he's doing. And they're saying, well, see, this is exactly why. But you know what? I I can just tell you the Jets need to concentrate next year's draft on definitely linebackers, good linebackers and fast linebackers, and they need to get – one more pass rusher. They got a pass rusher coming back from injury next year, but you don't know what he's going to be like. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you hope that you can get another good pass rusher, somebody to put the pressure on the quarterback so that, you know, you don't have to depend on their their uh, coverage on the outside. Of course, you know, they have a young coverage. So you're going to get what you get this year because the cornerbacks are all young. and But they're, they're not bad. They're just like, you know, they're young and they're inexperienced. So. Right. You're going to have that with a young team. But, you know, with Salah, I don't, you know, he's supposed to be a, a defensive specialist. And to me, he's not carrying into this defense and supplying them with a way to cover up what they're doing. Yeah, Because and, they're really horrible.
1: James, would it surprise you? And I was just looking this up as you were talking. Would it surprise you? Because it surprises me that C.J. Mosley, in the seven games that he's played, most everybody's played, you know, eight CJ Mosley leads the team in solo tackles with 38. Do you believe that? I don't. No. Crazy, right? I I, I didn't believe that. No,
8: I'm, t- I'm telling you. Listen, you know, you know football. I know football, mm-hmm. and you we can see what we see in our face. I know. I mean, you know, Mosley. Okay, if they say he has 38 tackles, whatever, whatever. That's after they got the 20 yards that they already got. Yeah, 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 yeah.
10: Yeah.
8: You understand? So he's coming from behind. Yeah, he is no. Yeah, to be found on that line. I'm telling you, he's not stuffing the run. He's not hitting anybody hard.
1: I I just don't understand it. Yeah, and James, I I get the frustration. And when you do combined tackles, you got C.J. Mosley's got, like, above and beyond, even in seven games, 65 combined tackles. Marcus Mays next with 46, but he's gone for the season uh, toward the Achilles. And then you look at a huge drop-off with, The cornerbacks, obviously. Talk about disappointments. How about Quincy Williams? According to the uh, cbssports.com that I'm looking at right now, on the season, Quincy Williams and Quinnen Williams. Quincy's got one sack. Quinnen's got four and a half sacks. That's the lineman. Quinnen Williams is the lineman. Four and a half sacks on the season? That's it? That's it? I don't know. I don't know. Just this defense. And like you said, Robert Sala is defensive-minded. I just... I thought that'd be better. I mean the Jets put up thirty one points against the Bengals and, and won that game. And then they put up thirty points against the Colts and, and it's a like a blowout. I don't know, I just don't understand it. The inconsistency kills me. Let's go in the order that you guys called Matt in the Jersey Shore. What's up, Matt?
4: Hey Danielle, how's it going tonight?
1: Good, how are you? Hey Matt, I have a question for you. They closed yeah. uh they knocked down or closed uh what was the bar down there that they closed? Bamboo, right?
4: Boo. yeah wow. i did. i just saw a story on that as a matter of fact you know why uh i believe well first of all i know the mayor of seaside is trying to make the town more family friendly um you know he he was not a big fan of jersey shore and everything you know that it brought to the town but uh I, I don't, Bamboo hasn't been in operation in a, in a long time. and okay. I think they finally just pulled the trigger on the uh, demolition.
1: Hmm. All right. There you, go, you got got the uh, inside story from the Jersey Shore from Matt. But you have a Jets point, Matt. Yep. Go ahead.
4: I, I do have a Jets point. Um, first of all, I just want you to know that that song, when uh, you came back from the break, it's also in the original American Pie.
1: Oh, okay. Which I've never seen. I know people are going to kill me, but I've never seen it. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> um, and I definitely, you know, would love to also piggyback on what your previous caller said, Brian Cashman-wise, but I think I'll reserve that for uh hot stove heating up more. Okay. It's, you know, it's still pretty cold. Uh-huh. So uh, as far as the Jets goes, first of all, I hope w- your friends at WFAN paid for your ticket out to Indy because... No,
1: I know, did that. I, I went, went as a fan.
4: Well, that was going to be my one of my questions. Are you... I'm pretty sure you're a Yankee fan. Are you a Jets or a Giants fan?
1: So the biggest, I guess, compliment that is is asking me because I always aim for the unbiased everything. Um, so right. w- whereas this Jets indie game came up first, I'm also going to a Giant game out in L.A. So I got two road trips planned. Who knows? I, I don't like saying I don't like saying where my allegiances lie honestly because then people are like, oh well, no, she's only saying that because she's a Giant fan or she's only saying that because she's she's a Jet fan. I like to keep it very unbiased. So the fact that you're asking <laughs> means I'm doing a good job.
4: Yes, you are. You definitely are. Um, I'm going to give Robert Sala a pass so far because obviously, without Mosley yeah. and without experienced secondary, and you know who knows what the what the heck? Sorry, happened with uh, <laughs> with the uh, defensive line with regard to the run game, who knows what's going on with all that. I know, Obviously but that's come on. a lot of work to be done there. Five hundred
1: yards twice in three games is really inexcusable. Oh, come on.
4: Yes, yes. But the bigger the reason I called was because I have to, with all due respect, disagree with you. Um, and it's not a, a hard disagreement. It's just my opinion. Because right now if Mike White and Zach Wilson are both available it's kind of a toss-up I know you went with Zach Wilson he's 100% yep I kind of feel like if you don't know to get the ball out of your hand in three seconds like Mike White has you don't belong in the NFL no matter how much tape you watch I mean if you look at Zach excuse me if you look at Mike White and what he did in the one game where he exploded, he not only looked like a competent quarterback, which Zach Wilson hasn't even looked close to, he's made numerous players around him on that offense look competent and, and formidable in the receivers, in uh, in Michael Carter, the running back. You you just can't send this kid in there to the Lions when he's clearly not ready. He's got to sit with the clipboard, consult with, with uh, Mike White when he's when a defense is on the field and learn and but, not get this kid killed, especially when you don't have um in on the
1: field protecting him. I get you, Matt. I I, I do understand that. And here's a gr- it's a great debate, right? Because you can argue that well, he has actually sat with the clipboard over these past whatever weeks that he's been injured. He has to, and now they have a, a real veteran quarterback in that locker room. Like how much of Mike's Mike White's play is attributed to Joe Flacco pointing stuff out in meetings and and all that? No one knows. No one really knows because we're not there. But I would like to see what Zach Wilson can do. He has sat, and now he has a veteran quarterback, and now his offensive coordinator is up in the booth where he belongs. Those are three major changes.
4: Yeah, I, I just I have not seen anywhere close enough out of Zach Wilson to make me believe that he's even close to earning time on that field when, like I said, it's not just hurting his own his own. Uh, basically having a high percentage of possibly getting hurt. He's also hurting the other rookies and other other offensive guys on the field by not creating opportunities for them to, you know, have the best possible chance to make plays right now.
1: Yeah, and and Matt, I, I see exactly where you're coming from. Well thought out, well articulated. I get it. All of that. I just think that you wouldn't draft a guy this high to let him sit on the bench. In, in today's NFL, right? I know Mahomes sat. I know Brady sat. I mean, this is this is 2021 NFL football. You get drafted, you play. I mean, right? Look at in in uh, in Chicago. Look in New England. Everywhere. Look in Jacksonville. All those guys are playing. And, and to me, if I'm a player, I'm watching. I'm watching. I'm watching. Great. There comes a time where I'm like, okay, I'm ready. Put me in. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm hundred percent and I'm ready. I think I have a feeling that they're going to come out and say, oh, yeah, Zach Wilson, he's not 100%. Uh, we're going to go with Mike White. That's what I think. We'll we'll have him active, but we're going to go with Mike White to, for the start. That's what I think the Jets are going to do. And and we are really far out from this game, really far out. That's just my initial thoughts. But I don't know. I'd go Zach Wilson if he's 100%. And uh, before I get out of here, guys, my Giants prediction. I almost forgot to give it. My Giants prediction and your last chance to get aboard at 877 337 6666.
13: The fan is on your smart speaker. To listen to the home of New York sports, just say, Hey Siri, play WFAN.
1: I'm the fan of New York City. This is your last chance to get aboard at 877-337-6666. Manuel Barbari is here. He is ready. And uh, he's coming your way at 9. So quick, quickly, quickly, time flies tonight. I almost forgot to give my Giants prediction. So here we go. 5-2 and two Raiders at the 2-6 New York Giants at 1 p.m. at MetLife Stadium. Raiders are coming off a bye week and lots of drama with Henry Ruggs, which we've covered at length here tonight. Uh, Derek Carr has been good. 2021, Derek Carr, 12 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. He's got an average of 101.2 rating, which is good. Over his last couple games, 100 rating in all of them, which is good. Darren Waller is going to be back. He's a beast. and The Giants will have an opportunity, though, to get after him. He's been sacked 17 times in 7 games. Listen, the Giants are going to need Aziz Ogelari and Leonard Williams, who has one sack in 3 straight games, to step it up big time. You gotta k- keep him off the mark. I mean, the Giants made the great Patrick Mahomes look pedestrian on on uh, Monday night, and they even had him on the ropes early with an interception in the, in, in the end zone. So, and he finished with a measly 70, 74.6 rating. So, if that's the key to the game, that's going to be it. As far as the Giants' offense, they are twenty first in the league on third down conversions. Red zone offense, they are second to last in the league, which is brutal. Daniel Jones versus the Chiefs had a good game. But the Raiders' pass defense is also pretty good. They only allow, on average, a 90 quarterback rating. They are second best in the league in yards per attempts, which is good defensively, not good for the Giants' offense. They've also gotten 18 sacks in seven games. They bring the pressure, uh, pressuring the quarterback at, at sixth most frequently in the NFL. And Max Crosby will be a big problem for the Giants tomorrow. And I know that Kenny Galladay is probably expected to play. And he's got major potential to be a big difference maker if he does. And offensive coordinator Jason Garrett agrees. He says once he plays, he'll be a big part of what we do. Okay. But in my opinion, the Giants are going to have to run the ball effectively tomorrow to win the game. And Daniel Jones' legs will be the key, not his arm. I think of the the other mobile quarterback that the Raiders faced in week one, which was Lamar Jackson. He led the team in rushing. Daniel Jones, unfortunately, again, has to lead this team in rushing yards before um, they even have a chance to win this game. So so basically get after Derek Carr and run the ball. The Raiders give up a lot of yards per carry. They're third to last in the league in rushing yards allowed per game. So score prediction, I hope I'm wrong. Raiders 28, Giants 21. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Raiders 28, Giants 21. I almost said Raiders 25. I went 28, though. Raiders 28, Giants 21. Sorry. Sorry. I hope I'm wrong, though. This is the one time I like being wrong. Please. All right. To the phones we go. 877-337-6666. Way down in Austin. Lawrence, you're up next on the fan.
19: Yeah, you know I had to make my call in.
1: Of course. I appreciate it.
19: Always. I always check in with you once a week. Yeah. Uh, so the trade deadline hit, and the Giants did nothing. Right. And I'm wondering is that because they got Gettleman in handcuffs, or is it just because it's an he's enough, and he, he can get rid of anybody.
1: Oh no! What was it? You cut out for the second option B. What was option B? He's
19: enough, and he didn't he didn't make any moves. Um. Because he he just doesn't he he knows he's on his way out, and he doesn't want to he doesn't want to help the team by getting rid of Ingram.
1: You know. I don't know. And there's like a conspiracy theory. I mean, who has wondered aloud on this radio station that maybe Gettleman knows he's outgoing and maybe the Giants told him don't screw anything up. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But Evan Ingram I, was the guy I, to unload for sure.
19: Exactly. What is, what is Evan Ingram going to do for this team in the next rest of the season? Uh, you know what I mean? It's going to benefit yeah. us more than a, a third round pick. Uh, <sighs> You know, I I can't imagine what that is.
1: Yeah, um, that's a great question because because I also don't have the answer to that, obviously. And every, Evan Ingram, by the way, is an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. Why didn't they get something for him?
19: Yeah, bye, Becky. Yeah, that's what I think about Evan Ingram. That's where I'm at with him. <laughs> yeah,
1: bye, Felicia.
10: Uh,
19: and yeah, bye, Felicia. See you later. <laughs> See you never. Austin Nuka, get out of New York. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and then you know, I'm a bit. I'm really big on Reddit. Do you go on New York Giants Reddit at all? Uh,
1: not. I-, I was big on Reddit. Not anymore.
19: Oh, you got to check it out every now and then. It's okay. hilarious. You should see all the posts about Odell coming back. Oh, know, yeah. People thinking oh, Odell might come back to New York. I, I, Odell, what's your opinion? Well, and here's, I don't want him back in New York, but just as a football
1: player. Yeah, and, and Lawrence, you're cutting out a little bit, so I got to let you go. I'm sorry, but that's a great question because Odell Beckham Jr. This is not like a trade scenario. He's not an unrestricted free agent, even a restricted one. Where he goes kind of depends on on the waiver wire order. And when you look at the waiver wire, if you scroll down a little bit to, to pick five off this waiver wire, first of all, you got the lion in this order, the Lions, the Dolphins, the Texans, Jaguars. Fifth, you have the New York Jets. Sixth, you have the New York Giants. That's where I think a lot of the talk is coming from about Odell potentially reuniting with the Giants. I think they would be crazy to do it. I don't think he's learned his lessons at all. Listen, he's, he's a good player. He's got talent. But he can't get out of his own way. I know you say you never want to give up on talent. That's a coach's mentality. You never want to give up on talent. But when the talent's father is putting up some garbage on social media, when the talent's father is accusing the quarterback of, of not throwing to the son on purpose, I mean – this hasn't stopped. It ha- it hasn't gotten any better. So if I were the Jets and Giants, I would. It's a hard pass for for the for the Giants. They've seen this show already. They don't need to see this movie again. Okay, for the Jets, you've got a young team, an impressionable team, a young quarterback room, especially. You do not want a guy like Odell Beckham Jr. screwing it up. And by the way. Neither of those two teams are making the playoffs. Odell Beckham Jr. is on an expiring contract. He's a rental player. I don't know. Does he go to Detroit? No, I actually think he ends up in Miami. That's where I actually think. But guess what? We'll have an answer by Tuesday, and I'm going to be back on on Tuesday. Tuesday at 7.30 to 11 p.m. So we'll have an answer for then by then. Hopefully the news breaks on air. That would be great. That would be wonderful. Let's go to Leonardo. Leonardo in Manhattan. You're up on the fan.
2: Ciao,
20: ciao. I'm your elevator singing friend from City Field, Oh, right? hey.
1: Hey.
10: <laughs>
20: How are you? Good. I'm good. I'm good. And uh, just, I got my laundry downstairs so I'm free. I'll give you a, a quick call, but Thanks. I know that's exciting for a Saturday night. I know you're from, let me a quick question. I know you're from Jersey. Yeah. Did you grow up in Jersey? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And were you or anybody in your family, like, a fa- I know you're relatively young uh, compared to me, But Did you or anybody in your family, were you guys uh, uh, fans of either Mike and the Mad Dog or Mike Francesa after they split up?
1: Yeah, my dad loved Mike Francesa to the last day. And actually, I used to call Mike Francesa with my takes, actually, and he used to let me on. (laughs) And actually, he used to let me talk for like three minutes or four minutes, which was like unheard of. Yeah.
20: Did you ever go to FrancesaCon?
1: I was part of FrancesaCon in one year, yes.
20: Oh, I was was there the last year at the uh, Irving Plaza, and I still have that photo of me and and Chris and him, and, uh, but anyway, so... I'm know, pretty, and, wait, I'm pretty sure done? I was there, too. Yeah, oh, yeah, maybe I'll, uh, you know, whatever, but, yeah. uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Yeah. And, I oh, I mean, I love Mike. I know you either love him or you hate him, and the YouTube videos of, you know, Mike as the Pope, and, it, yeah. you know, since, back you after this
10: accounts,
1: are, yeah.
20: Those, those are amazing, right? <laughs> and he always made good calls, but you may remember them. You probably, almost probably do. Mm-hmm. Uh, in recent years, he said that Greg Bird would be an all-star for years to come and he said Michael Conforto would win a batting title one day. Now, I don't think Michael Conforto could win a batting title if it was just him and his family and extended and his cousins number one. And you know nobody's right all the time. So I just want to hear your like in your mind, not other people's, but in your mind, has Michael Conforto underperformed in what you could you've been around Like, when you first saw him, did you think he was going to win a batting title and he'd be grossly underperformed in your view? Yeah.
1: Leonardo, good question there. Um, First of all, I don't know what I could say to help Michael Conforto because he's got the the Mike Francesa mush put on him already. So I don't know if I have any mush-breaking abilities here, but I I do. In the beginning, I thought so, too. Um, Let's be honest. In the beginning, I thought so, too. This year was an absolutely terrible year for him. Awful year, down year. I think anomaly year. Um, if I if I, reading, everything reading the room. My favorite expression: reading the room the right way. I, I do think that it was just an anomaly year, terrible bad year for him. So, going back to the fact that during my show tonight, news broke that the Mets were offering both him and Noah Syndergaard a qualifying offer. If I'm Michael Conforto, I'm betting on myself. I'm I'm saying like, listen, um. I know that I'm better than what I put out this past season. So if my my worth is a six-year contract for $19 million a year, and the Mets are giving me this 18.4 million one um, one-year deal, essentially, I'm not signing for six years at 19000000 million. I'm going to bet on myself, and I'm going to prove to everybody that I'm worth more than that. And if I were Michael Conforto, I would take the qualifying offer. Just to bet on myself. And if I were Noah Syndergaard, well, that's another thing. He said, he basically said he's going to be back, but his market value is much more than that. So we'll see what happens. Again, we could talk Tuesday again about this. Thanks to all the callers. Couldn't have done this without you. I love coming here and talking with you all. If you missed any portion of today's show, hit that Odyssey Rewind feature and select the start of the show 5 p.m. at 6.20, A special segment with Pete Hoffman and a great friend of the show, UFC legend Misha Tate 2.0. At 7.20, I had Adam Hill, who covers the Raiders for the Las Vegas Review-Journal, giving us the Raiders' perspective for tomorrow's game against the Giants at the Meadowlands. Great job to Connor Green tonight. Excellent job to Paul Rosenberg, Paulie D, Paulie R, behind the glass today. Also to Erica Hersquitz on the updates. I'll be back with you guys Tuesday, 7.30. Mark it down. I'm off to Madison Square Garden. Emmanuel Barbari up next. Hit my socials at CoachMCCARTAN, Facebook.com slash McCartan. UFC 268,
13: here it comes! Sports Radio 1019 fm the fan. New York. Your official station to talk
10: Yankees, the fan.